Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 100 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you, sir? Oh, hey, 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 good, sir. And, uh, Steve, it's uh, it's episode 100. We're, um, we're going retro for this episode. Going retro, going all the way back, my friends. Going all the way back to 1998. Larry, when, this, when these shows happened, I was almost 14 years old. So, being almost 14 years old tells me that the Attitude Era was right in my wheelhouse. Well, I was 21 in college, so it was pretty in the wheelhouse for me, too. So, <laughs> Yeah, but I think, it's even, it was, I think it even appealed more to kids like me who, you know, in this day and age, by God, all these parents don't let their kids watch anything. And it's not like I had bad parents or anything, but for whatever reason, they were okay with me watching wrestling at, the, at that particular time where it was probably the least appropriate it ever had been for kids. Fair. But, you know, different age, I guess, different era, times change, people change and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it brings back a bunch of good memories for me when you think of the Attitude Era. And we're covering a show today, a couple shows, really, that kind of set the stage for what was to come and uh, helped WDF at the time get on the right track and uh, helped push it back to number one. Now, we are, we're deep in the Attitude Era, obviously, with this show, with what we're going to talk about, and... Steve, there's always a lot of um, a lot of talk about like when the Attitude Era officially started. Um, some will kind of harken back to the early stuff Goldust did because that was very out of the box for the time. A lot of people will point to the Austin 316 promo and the rise of Steve Austin, and then a lot of other people will say it is WrestleMania 14, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, depending on what you believe and where it started, I think the one thing we can agree with is that the Austin era officially kicked off and started kicking major ass at WrestleMania 14. Absolutely. And uh, for me personally, as far as when the Attitude Era started, uh, when there was Goldust going on, there were still a lot of other non-Attitude type things going on. Uh, Yeah, Goldust was some interesting stuff, but there's still a lot of like, you know, Sparky Plug and stuff like that going on. And even with uh, even with later on with Austin 316, that still took a little bit to, a little bit to catch on. For me, I think it kind of started, and uh, it's kind of interesting that I bring up this name. We were just talking about him uh, not a few minutes ago off the air. I think it starts right around the time, honestly, when uh, Brian Pillman passes away. Because, his, and even Mick Foley talks about it in his book, where it's right around that time, like, the night after Vince has this big talk with the locker room, and that's kind of when he decides, okay, I'm going to go with uh, some of the things that you guys are pitching me. And I think that's a that's fair, and uh, it is interesting because I know a lot of people kind of ever people want to debate when and if it started here and there, and it's uh, it's just kind of an interesting conversation when you look back on it. That's a I think that's a good one to look to. So also right in the heart of the Bret Hart stuff too, you know. Which led led to some stuff. Led to some stuff, which we'll get into. So, 
But WrestleMania 14, we're going to talk not only WrestleMania 14, but we're going to talk the Raw the night after. Because this is kind of a combo platter of importance for various reasons. And I think it's kind of important to talk about them both together. Yeah, the Raw after Mania has been a thing for a very long time. That's right. So we obviously start off with WrestleMania 14. March 29th, 1998, live from Boston, Massachusetts. Steve, Jim Ross, and Jerry Lawler, our host. We yes. open up the show with a 15-tag team battle royal <laughs> for a shot at the tag team titles. And, again, getting people on the show is not just a recent thing, folks. They've always kind of done this. We had such luminaries and mainstay teams as Flash Funk and Steve Blackman. Oh, Bradshaw yeah. and Chains, Skull and Eight Ball, Jose Estrada and Jesus, Jesus Castillo, Salvio Vega and Miguel Perez, D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry, Farouk and Kama Mustafa, The Headbangers, The Godwins, The Quebecers, The Truth yeah. Commission, Too Much, <laughs> The New Midnight Express, Oh, God. The Rock and Roll Express, who we're still talking about these days, working. Yeah, who knew that? I mean, some people forgot that the Rock and Roll Express actually did appear on a WrestleMania card. That's Barely. right. And then, of course, making their return, the rebranded LOD 2000, along with, with the lovely Sunny. Yes, and uh, quite frankly, Sunny never looked better than she did at this point. As the valet of LOD 2000... In that outfit. So I might um, get yelled at for saying that, but it's a true statement. I'm sorry. I well, stand by she, it. She was a lovely young lass then, Steve. Yes, I'm not gonna... yes she was. I'm, I'm not supposed to point these things out anymore. People get mad when I suggest that women look attractive. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of what happened there. So I, I will say um, flat out, first of all, like the battle royal is not good. I Is that in say, general, or you mean this? Do you mean this particular match, or just in general? This particular one, but okay. most battle royals do suck. I mean, yeah. you have like some weird teams, like Bradshaw and Chains and Flash and Steve Blackman in there. Like then you had like just fucking geeks, like the Truth Commission and the Headbangers <laughs> and the Bro the Boequas, both teams and Skull and fucking Eight Ball. <laughs> But, like, I have, like, such a, a warm place in my heart for the Quebecers and the Rock and Roll Express. And I then, forget like, the Quebecers even being around at this point, too. Yeah, and so then, like, and then you have, like, the Rock and Roll Express, who I love, obviously. And then there's... Not the, exactly in their prime, of course. No, but still, I love them. And then you have, like, the new Midnight Express. Now, in theory, let me say this, Bob Hawley and Bart Gunn, in theory, are not a bad tag team. Makes sense. They're two dudes that aren't bad workers. They're in good shape. They could be a good tag team. But pigeonholing them as the new Midnight Express, absolutely the wrong call. Because they're out there with Cornette, and all anybody ever thinks of is the original Midnight Express versions, who were way better. Mm -hmm. And then generally the rule in wrestling is when you add the new in front of everything, it's usually shit. Yeah, this thing had no chance. It was DOA, Dan on Rival, much like the uh, Disciples Apocalypse faction. But the thing I was wondering about while I was watching watching these shows, I noticed Jim Cornette down ringside. Where was Jim Cornette's tennis racket? 
Jim Cornette did not have a tennis racket with him for the first time that I can ever remember seeing him without without his familiar prop. Did he well, did the, it get lost at the airport or what the heck happened? Despite the fact that we were doing an NWA angle, the the tennis racket was too much Southern wrestling. Oh god. Is that the actual? Is that the answer? Oh, uh, it probably is. I don't know for sure. Somebody should ask Jim Fournette on. Actually, somebody should call the Corny Drive Through or email Corny Drive Through and ask him where the hell's tennis racket went for this show. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Dunn was like yeah, too too Southern, Jimmy. No. Even though you already have Jim Cornette out there, and you already have him out there at the Midnight Express, you know, and the NWA fucking angle, yeah, the NWA fucking Rock and Roll Express, the NWA in the back of their tights. Now, other than that, <laughs> though. Not to mention later on the show you have Tennessee Lee and Jeff Jarrett, but, you know, that's too Southern. That's right. And then, of course, you have the rebranded LOD 2000. And you know what? I know a lot of people shit on this and absolutely hate it, but first of all, this is better than Drunk Hawk jumping off of the fucking Titan Tron. Mm-hmm. That's safe to say. Number two, I actually dug the new look when they came out with the fucking airbrushed hockey masks and everything. Um, you know, like the new pads and shit, and I thought they looked good. Animal actually wearing trunks was different. Yeah. And you put oh, Sunny yeah. with them, and I just, I thought it was a cool refresh, and I mean, you can say it didn't go well and all that stuff, but again, it's better than Drunk Hawk, and it's also better than Heidenreich and Animal in the 2000s. It was an idea, and they, they put some thought into it. They gave them a makeover, pretty much, and uh, yeah. I thought, especially on these two particular shows here, it looked pretty good. It looked like it had some potential, and, uh, well, the things don't always live up to, to potential, but I think the idea was fine. That's right. So, um, the one of the worst parts of this Battle Royal is so much of it, like, shit happens kind of off-camera. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's like you Which, kinda, with 30 people in one ring, that's kind of what happens. Yeah, but, like, you kind of miss a lot of stuff. It's not really good. Um... LOD 2000 uh, picks up the big win, and uh, they're going to go on to a tag title shot down the line. I thought as far as a rebranding and um, getting them off to a good start, it worked. So I wouldn't call the match a complete failure due to that. But not a good match. It served its purpose. Uh, Yeah, it put LOD 2000 over and got a lot of people on the card. But damn it, I had to watch Newman Express, so it wasn't all great. So, yeah. we have the WWE light heavyweight title match up next. Yeah. Takamichinoku defending against Aguila. Yes. And uh, they had a six-minute little sprint. It wasn't bad. It was obviously very spotty, but it was very refreshing compared to the regular WWF stuff at the time. Yeah. Like, I thought it was an okay match. And, uh, you know, Takamichinoku uh, hits the Michinoku driver. He wins. Um, some will just call it a spot fest. It was entertaining, though, and I enjoyed it overall. Not a great match by any means, but uh, the card picked up a little bit with that one. I liked it. Yeah, it was a it was a fine match throughout there for WrestleMania. Uh, Showcase Taka a little bit. We all know we both know the problem with the light heavyweight division at this point. Oh, for DF was well, hang on, we're gonna problem. Ta- we're gonna talk about the major problem when we get the Raw. Well, well, yeah, there's a yeah, there's a major problem there too. But I mean, the one I was gonna refer to was the fact that in the mid to late 1990s, WCW had all possible cruiser slash light heavyweight talent under contract. Yeah, they WCW had everybody. They anybody you could possibly want, they yeah. had. They had everybody, anybody you could think of, and uh, WWF was kind of left uh, with the with the leftovers. Like, well, they 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 missed Taka, 
and then they had like Brian Christopher and guys that uh, they knew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did they try to pass Scott Putsky off as a light heavyweight? Yeah, they brought in yeah. uh, the fucking. They brought in like the fucking Fantastics as well to work like single yeah. matches in the tournaments. Although, like Tommy Rogers was still really good though, so I mean, he was good. But I mean, you could tell they're kind of scraping by on the barrel because they, oh, they, they showed up a little too late to party. Which you know that still happens these days. Witness uh, like Ring of Honor's ladies division. You know, once one party shows up all the good talent, you're kind of left with nothing. So, but we, fortunately, they missed out on Taka. Taka, Taka is awesome. We like Taka. That's right. Uh, so we moved on to a backstage interview segment with. Jennifer Flowers. Yes. <laughs> now, there are some youngsters out there, Steve, who may not know who uh, Miss Jennifer Flowers is. Jennifer Flowers, I'm going to pull up the old Wikipedia here, uh, was an American singer and model and actress who revealed a sexual encounter with President Bill Clinton during 1998. Uh, she revealed this in January, and like two months later, she's on WrestleMania. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. Although I gotta tell you, this day and age, you would not see uh, <laughs> you would not see that happen in 2020. Let me tell you that, especially considering who's in the White House right now. So she's uh, interviewing The Rock, and The Rock is just—he's the fucking Rock here. He's rock is Rock. About, yes. He—he's uh, like Jennifer. What you need to know is that The Rock is both the judge and the jury, <laughs> and a hung jury at that. Oh. Uh. Could you, you could tell, could you not tell that this guy was going to be box office? And the, the ironic thing is, is like he drops the hung jury line and the next <laughs> night on Raw, we get the debut promo for Val Venus. That's right. So, and then of course, this is also where Rock dropped the, if you smell what the Rock is cooking for the first time. Yeah, just, just a great man, the Rock. That that line may work, Steve. It may have some legs. It might get over, possibly. I'm not. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, one thing I want to mention that we that does not appear on the network version of WrestleMania, the uh, the DX band, you know, who we see playing Triple H and Shawn Michaels to ring on this show. Prior to the show, they got to play "America the Beautiful" in the Star Spangled Banner, and it was the first time I'd seen their songs booed. Yeah, it was down because they there. were awful. It was down. <laughs> it was right up there with Downstain trying to play Cody's theme at the last AEW pay per view in terms of bad. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. No, it was. Yeah. It was pretty rough. So we go on to the WWE European Championship match. Our champion Triple H defending yes. against Owen Hart. You have China and Sergeant Slaughter at ringside, and they are handcuffed to each other. Due to uh, China constantly getting involved with Owen Hart and DX's business there, the Sarge Sarge tried to put the hammer down. Yeah, he tried to put the hammer down. But let's be honest, this uh, Commissioner Slaughter was not exactly Sergeant Slaughter from 1984. No, and of course this feud came out of, you know, Brett leaves, Owen tries to feud with Sean and DX, and it doesn't really work well. No. Um, Owen essentially becomes DX's bitch throughout this feud. They weren't doing anything. They weren't putting him over one iota. No. Nothing. They really weren't. So you have Triple H and Owen Hart here. Two very good professional wrestlers. They got 11 and a half minutes. Um, China, of course, gets freed from Sergeant Slaughter because Sergeant Slaughter is a fucking geek. Like I said. <laughs> um, and then, of course, she hits the old low blow, the Greco-Roman nut yeah. shot. 
And Triple H finishes Owen with the pedigree. Cook. Wait a minute, hold on. I want to point out real quick that China used the powder on Sergeant, on Sergeant Slaughter. I want to point that out because we're talking about Cornette's tennis racket being too southern. <laughs> <laughs> and China's out there using goddamn powder. Come on now. Fair enough. <laughs> but um, it goes 11 and a half minutes. Triple H finishes with the pedigree. I really could have done without the China stuff because it didn't add anything to this at all. In terms of the ringside thing or the finish. And China got over as a face, too. They were cheering her powdering Sarge and whatnot. They they cheered her being him up after the match, too. So it was kind of counterproductive. Yeah. The, the thing was, though, that um, this was a good match, though. Triple H and Owen, despite the fact that DX never tried to really do any favors for Owen, uh, they worked <laughs> really well together. They it had, had to be kind of awkward, didn't it? A little bit. I would think so, but uh, yeah, I mean, but you can really tell from the action itself. I mean, Owen did a good job. We'll say that for him. <laughs> he was willing to do he's willing to do business. He's willing to do what they told him to do, and uh, yeah, perfectly fine little matchup here. And Triple H retains the European Championship, and Triple H looks good heading forward. Which uh, you know, Triple H was the young up and rising star here anyway. To be honest, as much as we love Owen, I think that was probably the right call to make there. Yeah, so that was, uh, for me, that's the match of the night so far, though. Best match on the card. Well, we've had three. Yeah, but still, technically speaking, it's best match on the card. Fair we, enough. We move on to mixed tag team action. Mark Merrow and Sable facing yes. off with Luna Vachon and the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. Now, with the funky music. Let's not forget the funky music. Yes. And if you don't know what the artist formerly known as Goldust is, Ugh. Google it and be prepared to hate me. Honestly, yeah. If you don't, I'm just gonna say if you don't know what it is, just kind of, yeah. Sometimes you're just better not knowing things. Yeah, kind of. So just saying. They had a mixed tag team match here. This was during the whole time where. Sable was getting way more over than Mark Marrow, and Mark Marrow hated it. Yeah, yeah. She didn't was a want lot her, more didn't her. want her showing off her body. Luna Vachon was kind of gold dust crazy girlfriend throughout this whole thing. You know, it's just yeah, uh, really, really fucking weird. Luna always had a pretty consistent character, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she kind of stayed the same throughout her entire career. She's always a little out there, a little nuts. So, and this whole, the whole thing here was, um, getting, getting Sable over because she was the star. And And God bless Luna for working with Sable too. Yeah. Sable (laughs) was not a very good professional wrestler. She looked great. She was over and she tried. Wasn't a great wrestler though. Um, Luna Luna did her best. Yes. Luna did everything (laughs) she could to make her look good. And at the end of the day, uh, Sable hits the TKO. Pins um, Luna and uh, stealing Mark Mara's finish in the process. Well, yeah, part of the story. And, uh, you know, it's funny because basically in this feud, Mark Mara and Goldust are the heels. Luna is just kind of there and Sable is the mega baby face. (laughs) I guess you could basically call Luna maybe a sympathetic heel. Like, because you kind of felt bad for her because, like, everybody ignored her. Yeah, but she you know, she's going after Sable too. So well, I mean, yeah. the people love Sable at this point. That's like, right. They loved her. This is one of those weird instances where I I kind of think like a Vince Russo booking idea did kind of work overall because it did get Sable over. And that is the main point because I mean, let's be honest, Marrow and Goldust at this point 
well, we, as much as you love Dustin Rhodes, at this point, nobody cared. Yeah, and that's just being truthful. I thought it was an okay little match, but it definitely accomplished the goal of getting Sable over. And the, again, that was the main goal of this match. It was WrestleMania, get Sable over as a star. Yeah, and Sable, so it worked on that respect. The match itself, and uh, you know, yeah. it, it served its purpose. And Sable made money for them in terms of, excuse me, driving internet traffic to them. The eventual oh, yeah. Playboy cover and everything. She was popular in the ratings. So I mean, it's yeah. yeah Along again, with Sunny, she paved the way. She was the original uh, diva, if you will. Yeah. So again, it's like again, not not a great match by any means, but you're accomplishing your goal. So we'll give them that. Yep, that's the good thing. The w Inter- WWE, WWF, sorry, Intercontinental Championship on the line next. I've been brainwashed over the years. Damn fucking. <laughs> um, so it is The Rock defending against Ken Shamrock. Yes. And these guys uh, feuded for a long time throughout 1998. Uh, famously, Rock fucking destroyed Ken Shamrock with a chair shot to the head at one point. Oh, we got to see a replay of that, too, on this show. And um, that was brutal. Rock was... Uh, you know, The Rock, his whole career is pretty stiff with his chair shots. He really was, especially he when he swung was for the damn fences. The head, dude. <laughs> he really did. That man swung for the fences. It was crazy. So, yeah, it's um they they have a very quick match. Um, It's like, oh, Christ, I'm trying to. It's like not even five minutes. They worked it's really hard. It's, yeah, it's uh, yeah, 449. You're right. They worked really hard. They worked really fast. It's enjoyable for what it is. Ken Shamrock gets the ankle lock, and the you know the Rock has to tap. He's done, but Ken Shamrock goes nuts. He beats the shit out of the Nation of Domination, puts the Rock back in the ankle lock because he's venting. Yep. Farouk decides he's going to run down and get involved, and then decides, nah, <laughs> the Rock's good because yeah, they had, t- had some issues going into this. Yes, the tension has been building. Kinda- yeah. Between them, including that, they did that segment where The Rock gave the nation gifts. Yes. He gave them Rolexes and he gave Farouk a picture of The Rock. <laughs> so, you know, that picture of Rock is pretty, pretty popular, pretty uh, valuable now, is all I'm saying. Especially right. if you autographed it. So, due to Ken Shamrock being a fucking nutcase and trying to rip The Rock's ankle off, he's disqualified and The Rock is still your WWF Intercontinental Champion. Well, yeah, I mean that's a fair point. Uh, the man did, uh, the man did go overboard. You could get away with disqualifying from kicking too much ass. I'm just saying. I hope there were fines and suspensions levied here, Steve. I w- I would hope so. I would hope so. Uh, There's crazy stuff, crazy stuff going on there. Um, but yeah, fun little match here. I mean, it, it it was definitely a short match, but it 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 was fun. It was fun while it lasted. Rock was rock, and Shamrock very over at this point. As we said before, I think uh, if like the last ten years of Shamrock's MMA career don't happen, he's remembered a lot better. Yeah, and like the the sad thing about the Shamrock Rock feud for me is that like for me they they never really got to have a chance to have a great match because this the it was all there. They had a story, they had the ability. This match feels like you cut ten or twelve minutes off of a potentially great match. Yeah, and worked like the last five the, minutes. Uh, the closest chance they had would have been the uh, the King of the Ring final, which I don't even remember that mad. I mean, I don't remember much of that show besides fully flying off the cage, but I don't remember that being a classic match. They also had that mad that triple threat later on of mankind in the cage. 
I forget what show that was. It's one yeah, of the I, I, I that love that match. Yeah. But I'm just in terms of one on one though, I never felt that they got that chance. But I enjoyed their feud again. Like you said, Shamrock was over. The Rock was really coming into his own as a, you know, a potentially big star possibly down the line. Steve, maybe this Rock guy might have some potential. We'll see yeah, how he, it pans he, out for him. He shows some moxie, that Rock kid. <laughs> so I mean, I, but honestly, he looks. I mean, you you watch his shows, he, he looks like he's the he's the kind of guy that even the WWF can mess up. Yeah, and the thing is, if you go back and watch during this time, too, he was a guy that was growing week by week. Mm-hmm. Um, between 90, 97, 98, 99, all through that. Like, every time you saw him, like, a little better in the ring, a little more comfortable, a little more cocky, a little better on the mic. Like, every week it was something different, like, with The Rock. And, like, you could see, like, dude is becoming a star. And it was, like, it's crazy when you think it... Because you don't always get to see that these days with certain people. And to, right. y- you go back and you just watch the rocks rise. And, yeah, I mean, the, the fucking people hated him. And then he became, like, the most beloved motherfucker in the world. <laughs> Damn right he did. Good. It's good stuff. Good stuff. And speaking of good stuff, next we got a dumpster match. That's right. The WWF Tag Team Championships on the line as the New Age Outlaws defend against wild and old fellas Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. Terry Funk, obviously still middle-aged and crazy, as he was all the time. Yeah, Chainsaw. Yeah, Chainsaw Charlie. He kinda phased, they kind of phased out of the Chainsaw Charlie name at this point, anyway. Thankfully. He's still the Chainsaw. I just don't understand why you had to rebrand Terry fucking Funk as Chainsaw Charlie. Well, apparently, uh, somebody said it was Terry Funk's whole idea. Oh, okay. But then, well, uh, the, but then if it is Terry Funk's idea, you should probably tell him, no, we're not doing that. Well, God bless him if it was his idea, but it wasn't a good one. Exactly. You don't have to go along with every talent's ideas. So we have a about a 10-minute plunderific match here, as you would expect with Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. Um, it's just they're, they're trying to beat the shit out of the outlaws. They're getting fucking dumped into fucking dumpsters and pallets and shit off of ladders and... Terry Funk, like, bruised his fucking kidneys in this match. Oh, and that's a gross, gross, gross bruise as well. It is. I mean, like, Ugh, that shit brutal. ain't fake, you know? So, they worked... I don't know how he got from Boston to Albany, quite frankly. Yeah, really. So, they worked really, really hard. And, basically, in the end, the old and crazy bastards come back. They win the championships. Yes, and it's they a great moment. Except that we find out the next night on Raw that they put the New Age Outlaws in the wrong receptacle. You know, I mean, it's a technicality, I know. But uh, they said, and they even announced before the match that they are supposed to deposit the losing tag team into that dumpster at ringside. They didn't say anything about the dumpsters backstage. They didn't say anything about the dumpster down the street. They said, they specifically said the dumpster at ringside. Yeah, so, so it's, the, it's the right call. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying. I'm just. It's like it's one of those things that, like the you know the the old dusty finish there. So, but um, yeah, it is what it is. Um, it's it's not a particularly good match, but it's a fun plunder brawl with some cool spots that unfortunately tried to destroy Terry Fox's kidney. So we do have to mention we have to mention the angle that led to this match too. Okay. Which the the infamous angle I'm sure you all most you probably remember uh, when Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie had their match on Raw, which I don't even remember why they were wrestling other than they were just crazy people. 
<laughs> somehow they both wound up inside. A, I believe somebody took a dumpster out to the stage for some reason. I think Terry Funk winds up inside the dumpster and Jack does his elbow into the dumpster. They both wind up inside. And New Age Outlaws decide to come out and take the dumpster and push it off the, push it off the stage. By God, they're broken in half. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and as today, you know, the, the, the stage wasn't that big a fall, but my God. They put that over like they had, like, just killed those two men. They did. Like, you had everybody out there. Like, Sonny was out there crying, and they were, they were, like, putting neck braces on Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. And it was a it was put over as a really serious and pretty heavy moment, so pretty, pretty good stuff there. So, of course, later on the show, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk come down with, uh, you know, their IVs still on and beating up New Age Outlaws. Of course, because they're fucking old and crazy, Steve. Well, they are. It's a fair point, but uh, still a, a memorable moment. No, no doubt about it. Um, it is. So again, like if you're looking for like like in terms of a wrestling match, it's not particularly good, but it's entertaining as hell, it's and it plunder. did, and it had a good <laughs> angle going into it. You know, like yeah. Steve says. So. Uh, next, we have the Undertaker versus Kane. Well, next we have before all this Undertaker stuff happens, we have to put over the special guest ring announcer for this match. Uh, the legendary Cincinnati Red, the uh, the all-time Major League Baseball hit leader, Pete Rose, came out to do the uh, special ring announcing. Cincinnati Reds, who the fuck did they ever beat? Well, they beat the Boston Red Sox back in 1975, <laughs> so the, the, the Boston fans are not fucking happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the thanks for the uh thanks for that that's a good setup on your part i like that so and pete he does like this old school like uh bad stand-up comedy routine oh dude you know? I, I, fucking, oh it's great I, I, you know i love tickets for bill buckner but he couldn't pick them up <laughs> how about it how about it yeah. <laughs> my friend bucky dent says hello <laughs> oh, it's great stuff, and uh, it's kind of funny when you're watching 21 years later, and now the Boston Red Sox have won all these World Series. But uh, at the time, they were the uh, they were the team that couldn't get done. The curse of the Bambino, as Rose pointed out, and uh, yeah, he got some pretty serious heel heat. He might have been as over as a heel as anybody on the show. Oh, he definitely was. They fucking hated him, dude. Which There's then, no I, but then I kind of have to wonder. Uh, I mean, when you get Pete Rose over as a heel. Why do you have Kane come out to give him the tombstone? Yeah, that felt like really odd, but um, it did lead lead to like two more years of Kane and Pete Rose doing shit at WrestleMania. It did, yeah, it did lead to a feud, and they they even revived it later on during the special guest host era of Raw, where Pete Rose was a special guest host, and he had Kane duck Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, and uh, so I mean, it did lead some stuff, and Kane got his big red machine nickname, so you know, I mean. In the long run, it made sense, but I mean, at the time, it's it was a little a little strange. At the time, yeah. Uh, notably, Taker gets a quote unquote big time WrestleMania entrance for what it was yeah. at the time. He gets a, a bunch of fucking druids with uh, torches, and we get Carl Ors O Fortuna, which many will good. remember from the uh, movie Excalibur. And uh, that's a great fucking song. We actually played that whole uh, gimmick in college, like. The entire Carmina Braun, it's like 30 minutes. It's fucking cool. But um, yeah, I mean, I mark well, out for that still. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, primitive by WrestleMania standards today where, you know, everybody has a fucking, uh, you know, Hollywood blockbuster entrance. But back at this time, it was pretty great stuff. 
Yeah, and of course we had the whole Kane and Undertaker storyline leading into this with Paul Bearer originally revealing that your brother Kane is alive. Kane debuts at the Hell in a Cell and screws Taker. And then like you have months of Undertaker not wanting to fight his brother. And it finally all leads to the big WrestleMania clash. Yeah, and as ridiculous as this story winds up being, of course, I mean, Paul Bearer was great in his role of building this building this feud. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, he was awesome. Dude, Percy was such a great fucking talker. He was. And like the thing is is like nobody else would have got this over. No. No, I mean, I I love no. I love Bobby Heenan, I love Jim Cornette, I love Paul Heyman, but like you're talking like in terms of just being related to this um overall story and gimmick. Paul that's was Paul so Barrett. good, and just yeah, that's that's his ball of wax. You know, he's the all about the wrestling business and the funeral business. So this this is his forte right here. That's right. So Undertaker and Kane have a match here. The whole gimmick of this match is that Undertaker is going to win, but they're going to put Kane over as a monster. They did, and he's they both survive like various tombstones. They both kick out. They both survive. You have. Kane mirroring a lot of the Undertaker's moves. And at the end, Undertaker finally puts him away with the tombstone in about 17 minutes. After the match, Kane tombstones Taker on a chair and they leave. So this shit isn't over. No. <laughs> um, basically, Undertaker's strategy here, he's doing the old Muhammad Ali, um, like let Kane punch himself out gimmick he's just taking abuse the whole time and surviving Kane eventually kind of gets tired he overcomes I actually really like this match I like it more than a lot of people I think it's actually like a really good match overall I think the story added a lot to it and um I mean you fucking compare that to their Wrestlemania match that match is shit compared to this you mean the 20 match yeah what 20, I yeah. I, yeah, just WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, they're, they're WrestleMania 20 match. Yeah, it's comparatively is horrible to this one. Yeah. So I, yeah, really, I really like this one, and I think they did a great job of getting the Kane character over even more. I was kind of, I was interested, you know, it was a good match. I thought so as well, and uh, it's interesting that when Kane kicked out of a couple tombstones, apparently, now, I don't know if it did, it had nobody kicked out a tombstone before. That's what they said. I don't know if that's... I don't remember anybody kicking else kicking out of Tombstone prior to that. Yeah, I, I don't remember actually, but yeah. you know, we'll just say it's true. But then you compare it to nowadays where every Undertaker match everybody kicks out of five tombstones. Yeah. But that's that's the modern style, I suppose. It is what it is, I know, but it kinda of reminds me of the uh style that would happen happen later on. You at least had to have three tombstones gonna win in this day and age. But uh yeah. Um it helped further the story. It helped continue. I don't think they mentioned Undertaker's uh, WrestleMania streak that much. No, it wasn't really something they were mentioning. It didn't start getting mentioned uh, until really until the Triple H feud. And it's you 17. know, if the, yeah, I mean, and it would not have been the wrong decision to put Kane over here either. No, it wouldn't have been. But I mean, I think it worked out because. Kane well, obviously still, it worked out for Undertaker. He got a few more WrestleManias out of it. Yeah, but I mean, it's it, it works out well for Kane because he does come away as a monster and a formidable force against the Undertaker. So it worked out well, I thought. And again, I enjoyed the match. I really did. It was one of the yeah. I'm gonna tell you, it's one of the. I think it's one of the better Undertaker Kane matches I've seen. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen a lot. So, 
And that, and that feud, I don't think that, is that feud over now? I don't think that feud's still over. It's hard to tell, Steve. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, uh, it just depends on whether they need to pop a or whatever the prince of Saudi Arabia wants, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> what the prince wants, his millions gets. Darn right. So we go on to our main event of the evening, the WWF Heavyweight Championship on the line. Shawn Michaels defending against Stone Cold Steve Austin. We have Mike Tyson as our special guest enforcer, but it looks like bad news for Steve Austin because he's obviously aligned with DX going into this. He's wearing the DX t-shirt. That might have been a little bit of an issue. That's right. So coming into this match... We know a couple things. We know that Shawn Michaels is suffering from a very, very bad back injury, suffered in the casket match with Taker. Mm-hmm. We also, this is also going to be Shawn's last match for like four years. Yep. Despite the fact that he would pop in occasionally because they were hoping he'd come back, but he had some not able to perform issues showing up intoxicated and such. So stuff never happened despite the fact that they'd bring him back occasionally. Yeah. And then Steve Austin is obviously, he's coming off of the various injury issues, which led to him dramatically changing his in-ring style. Yeah, it's the neck injury. So you have a match that a lot of people were really, really looking forward to. And a lot a lot of people thought this would be and wanting this wanted this match to be great. So badly. So they have a match. And I will say, because I know a lot of, there are people that want to shit on this match. And I will disagree. I do think overall, it's a very good 20-minute wrestling match. They work really hard. You can tell Sean's struggling at times, but he guts through it. Steve Austin wins at the end with the stunner, which is what everybody wants to see. That had to happen. Everybody's happy. And then after the match, uh, Shawn Michaels is all pissed at Mike Tyson. He dares to touch Iron Mike Tyson, so he gets fucking leveled. Yep. And then he celebrates with Stone Cold. And I think that the storyline execution here was, it was really great. It almost made up for some of the lack of physical ability in this match. Um, And I think overall, though, it... It does come off as very good to me. I really enjoyed it. It's not a great match. It's not an all-time match. It's not Austin or Michael's best Mania match by any means, obviously. Not their best match with, you, with each other. Very true as well. So, again, it's um, it ends up really good. The story's great. Again, like you said, the right winner, the guy that had to win won for various reasons. Not only because Sean's about to leave, but also because Austin was the guy. He was the guy you had to pull the trigger on. It was time for the Austin era to begin. And honestly, at this at this point, that's all people wanted to see. They just wanted to see Austin hit the stunner, get the one, two, three. I mean, they they could have done anything they wanted to prior to that, and it wouldn't matter to the people. I mean, you could, you could have had a five-star wrestling match. You know, you could have had, you know, 52,000 kickouts or all this uh, arm work or work rate or whatever you want, but... All the people cared about it was seeing the stunner and the one, two, three. And that's I mean, what, as long as you gave them that, the people were going to be happy. And and that's exactly what they got. So we'll kind of give closing thoughts here, Steve. And first of all, it's like you look back. I remember when this show happened, 
People fucking love this show. Oh, yeah. Calling it one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time. And I'm sure at the time it felt like that to many. (laughs) And I think overall, you look back on it, there's... It has a good nostalgia feel, but it also has a a very dated feel in some ways. Not everything landed, but of course, it's not a shit show. Because I know, again, there are some people that want to go to extremes. Because Austin won, it's the right call. I think Taker and Kane came off really well. Owen and, um, Owen and Triple H was really good. And then, like, you got Sable over. You brought the LOD back and, and got a great reception, even if the match wasn't good. There's a lot of good on the show. I find it to be one that's still a recommended show to watch. And not just for the fact that it's an important show. I think there's enough enjoyment there overall. Definitely wouldn't call it a top 10 mania or anything like that. But overall, importance-wise, it's one that you have to watch that you can still find enjoyment on. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as a almost 14 year old watching this show, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is one of the best shows I've ever seen. And I because I was a I was a huge Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. I had watched Stone. I'd watched stunning Steve Austin ACW and I saw the potential there, you know, and I watched him in ECW. And I watched him here. So I was a big time Steve Austin fan going back. So honestly, as long as Austin won. I was going to be happy, and I was very, very happy. It was a great show in my book back then, and watching it, I know, and I'm sure a lot of star rating people wouldn't give out a lot of stars on the matches on this show, but uh, I think most of them served a purpose. You're putting over LOD 2000, you put over Triple H, putting over Sable. You had the, the Rock being the Rock. You had the crazy dumpster stuff. The beginning of the Undertaker came through that I think is still going on, still not sure about that. And most importantly, you have put Stone Cold Steve Austin on top, and he is the guy. So, I, to me, it still it still delivers. I don't know where it ranks as far as WrestleMania goes, as far as like work rates and uh, star ratings and things like that. But uh, it's still a very enjoyable show. It is. I find it to be very enjoyable, and again, it's a it's a very very important show to go back and. Kind of see where things came out of going, you know, you saw where things went into the show and then coming out, it's a very important and vital time for the WWF. It's only eight matches in under three hours. So, yeah, imagine WrestleMania these days. (laughs) Nowadays, WrestleMania is 25 hours and 86 matches. So, man, things have changed. They really have. So we discussed WrestleMania 14. And I think contextually, it's very important to discuss the Raw the night after because they're very much a one-two punch in what the company was trying to do. The Mike Tyson thing was a very big get for them at the time. It brought a lot of eyeballs in, a lot of media attention in. He's involved in your biggest show of the year. Austin goes over, which as Steve said, that's what everybody wanted. And now you're starting off in, this is the Steve Austin era. I mean, yes, overall, it's the Attitude Era, but this is the Steve Austin era of professional wrestling, Steve. Yeah, so and yeah, it you, was, you can really swap out Attitude for Stone Cold Era. Yeah. You really could. And it's unfortunately an era that did not last long enough. Mm. Not at all. I mean, you know, and we, we, we point out earlier how Austin was heading into all this where he had that neck injury at SummerSlam, so... I think we kind of all, 
I, well, maybe we all didn't know that at the time, but looking back, you can kind of realize that, uh, yeah, Austin was only going to have so much longer to wrestle. Yes, we were on borrowed time with Old Stone Cold, so. So we had to enjoy it while we could, by God. That's right. So Monday Night Raw starts off with, uh, they're in Albany, New York, uh, drawing about 11,000, I believe, as a sellout. Night after yeah. WrestleMania, Vince McMahon starts off the show. Arriving with a brand new WWF World Championship belt. Also, uh, there's no music for Vince. There's no no chance in hell it doesn't come around till Royal Rumble 1999. Yes, it's weird watching Vince come out with the no music and uh, just walks out with no music. Usually, with the kind of the raw music still playing in the background. Usually, so what ended up happening there? Yeah, he introduces our new WWF champion, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steve Austin arrives, he has his belt, he looks at Vince a couple times, swaps out <laughs> belts, and drop, drops the old yeah. one on Vince's foot. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's, it's the little things between them. And um, This was, by the way, this new championship belt was one that Austin hated, which is why he eventually had the broken skull, the smoking skull belt. I think he hit him in the head a few times during his little celebration there. Yeah, well, because it had those little like jagged edges on it that would fucking like uh. cut into him. And he yeah, got all he fucking was, pissed off with it. No, I'm not a fan of that. And uh, and to be honest, I still think there's no better World Wrestling Federation Championship than the uh, the old Winged Eagle, Winged Eagle, Winged Eagle, Eagle, if I could spit it out. That title belt right there, you know? Steve, <laughs> that belt, I'm, you know what I'm, I'm talking about. You know what? I'm going to have to go on the rant. Okay, it's the here. Eagle belt. It the is eagle not belt. a winged eagle all e- eagles, by definition, have fucking wings. <laughs> it's like saying assless chaps. <laughs> chaps are assless by definition. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just always bothers me. Everybody, the winged eagle. I'm well, like, yes. Because what the fuck is it? Bell. Come on now. It's a fucking side dish if it doesn't have wings, okay? <laughs> You're not allowed to eat bald eagle in this country, Larry Zonka. I'm pretty sure it's against the law. Listen, Corona's on the table. Anything's on the table, okay? Eh, fair enough. I can't find a chicken. I'll shoot down a bald eagle if I fucking have to. Eh, Well, it might get to that point. (laughs) So Vince is there. He's trying to clarify he's actually proud of Austin for becoming the champion. Oh, yeah. And together (laughs) with their combined skills, they can represent the company and makes Austin the greatest WWF champion of all time. Austin has no time for a fucking groove effort. Nope. Vince talks about how I'm I'm incapable of hate, Steve. You're a swell guy, <laughs> and I love you. Yeah. And Steve Austin's like, what? what? And he's like, well, I just um. He's like, what did you say? It's like it's just a figure of speech. And oh, Austin's great. just like. He's basically like, fuck off. I'm going to do things how I want to do them. He definitely milked that love part. And he is Austin milked that shit. Like, yeah. He what did. You say? <laughs> he said he's going to do things the way he wants for as long as he wants and cause more grays on Vince's head. And uh, Vince said, he's like, listen, he goes, we should work together and you can either do things the easy way or the hard way. Mm. Steve Austin thinks about it, says, give me about 10 seconds. Kick Wham Stunner, and we go off and do one of the bigger feuds in the history of the WWF. Indeed, there's never been a there's never been a better boss employee uh, feud. Never. That's right. So many I mean, people have tried afterwards. Vince tried with many other people, but uh, no, this Austin McMahon, nobody's ever come close to touching that. 
No, and it's just they they worked so well together, and Vince was just so good in the role. Yeah, the chemistry was great. I mean, yeah, Vince was great in the role, but uh, I don't think there have been anybody better to oppose him than Stone Cold. No, obviously not. So we have the rebranded LOD 2000 coming out with the yes. lovely Sonny in tow, obviously, facing yes. off with Los Bariquas. <laughs> this was Jose, oh, Jose and Jesus. Jose and Jesus. I can't believe Jose Estrada was, uh, you know, I because I've been watching a lot of primetime wrestling, you see Jose Estrada on those shows, and here he is again, 1998's Los Bariquas. I had forgotten that. Yeah, I, I can just imagine. They're trying to fill that up, and they're like, we need another fucking Hispanic. And they're like, they're like, Pat Patterson pulls out the Rolodex. He's like, yeah, they've had signed all of them already. He's so like, he's like Jose's still working. Uh, Isn't that banana? Yeah, they've signed all the Mexicans. So they're kind of <laughs> SOL at that point. So we got Jose Estrada. So, um, so we get a, uh, a basically an old school, um, road warrior squash match, about 30 seconds. And, yep. um, Hey, exactly what it should have been coming off the WrestleMania, um, Battle Royal win. There's the, no reason for Jose and Jesus to be getting any kind of offense on the LOD. No reason for that at all. No. That's right. So, I mean, again, exactly what it should have been. The reboot was off to a good start for these guys. Unfortunately, it didn't really last long and it didn't go all that well. But it started correctly, Steve. Yeah, again, yeah, like we're saying, it, the, the idea was there and uh, the uh, it looked good. Uh, and Sonny looked good, but also the LOD looked good too. They had the awesome helmets, they had the shoulder pads, new ring gear. It looked like a great idea. Yeah, and really like did. I said, they got them off to a good start with the the battle royal win of Mania, and then you follow it up on Raw with them killing two geeks. Yeah, I mean it's just it's good. So unfortunately, it just it didn't last for various reasons. Part of it being creative, and part of it being unfortunately Hawk. Being Hawk, yeah, but uh, yeah, and, and let's be honest, uh, Sonny was a quite the upgrade from Paul Ellering. Am I am I wrong? Ah, uh, no, no, you are correct, sir. Yeah, I mean, I know Paul can cut a nice little promo. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's a good talker. What is Paul up to these days? I, I is he still around, hanging around Performance Center? I don't think so. Because I never hear anything about him, despite the fact that. All we heard it was after they brought up AOP was that he was still going to be involved with the company and maybe manage someone else. And yeah, how's that going? What about yeah. Rachel? What about Rachel? Didn't Rachel like, get an injury or something? She uh, suffered a knee injury. I think she had a torn ACL. Ooh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. that's yeah. a shame. Which is like when we talk Wednesday nights about how deep the NXT women's division is. We talk about women that aren't even on TV, and then like Rachel Ellering and uh, Karen uh, Me are both out injured. It's, yeah. it's crazy how many women they have on that roster that are really good that aren't even on TV or even working because they're injured. So, yeah, and then, then we want to knock the other companies for not having a good women's division, but WWE has everybody signed. I mean, Kinda pretty much. There. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. I mean, Kevin Kelly, by the way, speaking of uh, New Japan pro wrestling talent, I don't think we were, but uh, here he is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We had Kevin Kelly is in the building, and is uh, yeah. It's always funny to look back, and if you would have said said to somebody in 1998 that this Kevin Kelly f- character is going to be regarded as the best wrestling commentator in 2020, yeah, nobody's buying that. You know, you gotta give him credit too, because I know a lot of people. You know, we'll we'll talk about how you know Terry Taylor's career was ruined by being the Red Rooster, right? 
That's what people say. Yeah. But for God's sakes, Kevin Kelly stood out there for several years Being called, interviewing The Rock. Being called a hermaphrodite by The Rock. And The Rock, yeah, he's a hermaphrodite. The Rock called him Hermie. And he, he survived. He's okay. He's doing stuff. <laughs> Nobody's calling him Hermie now, right? <laughs> no. He survived despite all they did. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're not calling Kevin Kelly Hermie. I mean, you might still call Terry Taylor a rooster. I don't know, but uh, yeah, he, he survived it. He's good. I'd laugh if like the kids at the performance center what were like when they'd see him like Rooster, what's up? They might. <laughs> the old network footage, I'm telling you. I'm working through that red rooster angle right now. Jesus Christ. Oh jeez. And he leans more into being a red rooster after leaving Bobby Heenan. Like what? What? That's, what's yeah, that makes sense. I know so, Bruce Pritchard wants to tell us, Oh, he is the cock of the walk. But yeah, no. No. Yeah, Bruce Pritchard's a cock, all right. So, yeah. He is a cock. That's a fair point. That... So next up, we had <laughs> Kurgan with the Jackal <laughs> facing off with Chains from the Disciples of Apocalypse. Also known as uh, Primetime Brian Lee. That's right. Go ahead and drop that name. Also known as Fake Undertaker. That's right. Very good. Yeah. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff with old chains there. But uh, Kurgan, yeah, and the Jackal, of course, Don Callis, another one of our top announcers these, these days and age. He's and, an uh, He's hermaphrodite. Is that what you said? He's an announcer, but I wouldn't call him top. <laughs> Would you call him a hermaphrodite? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be nice to Don. Uh, Don I, he, he's not the worst person we've ever met. That's all right. <laughs> this is a match, by the way. Yeah. It was a match that managed to kill the crowd that was really hot. You know, Kurgan looked like a badass pro wrestler. He looked like a, he looked like a badass, but and Don Callis could obviously fucking talk. He'd been great in that role, but it's just they hated Don Callis. <laughs> they hated Don Callis, and Kurgan was not any good in a ring. So. He was the absolute shit. He was. He at really least, was. Um. He was at least mildly fun when he became um, one of the oddities. Yeah, hang out with Giant Sullivan and all those guys. That's fine. Danced around like a goof, and then you had yeah. Golga with his Cartman doll. Golga, yeah, another one of the John Tenta personalities. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it went two minutes and 20 seconds, and it was actually really bad. It felt, lo- it felt a lot longer. <laughs> it felt a lot longer, and uh, yeah, Kurgan gets to win with the Paralyzer, his claw. And uh, the thing I was going to ask you about Larry Zonka. So, okay, Kurgan does this claw gimmick, and he wins the match. And, uh, yeah, Jackal's yelling about how it's all his fault at Jim Ross for some reason. And uh, Kurgan just keeps the claw on, and he's decided to carry chains slash primetime Brian Lee to the back while still having the claw on him. And I was just kind of wondering, last night we saw Ken Shamrock disqualified for something like this why wasn't the kurgan disqualified for this um you know why vince mcmahon was obviously too busy in the back calling the police on steve austin oh okay that's my best guess yeah (laughs) so then talking about reboots and various iterations of characters tennessee lee colonel rob parker introduces jeff jarrett's new old gimmick Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's uh, J double F. J double R. E double T. Double J. Jeff Jarrett. That's right. He's uh, riding out in his electrified gear. Holy shit. Cowboy on a fucking horse. He was on a fucking horse. I'll put it this way he's no Hangman Adam Page. 
No, he's not. No, absolutely not. But man. Speaking of which, did you see the Hangman Adam Page um thing he sent out to the public Press in release. regards yes, to the coronavirus? <laughs> oh, yes, sir. I'm telling you, Hangman Page is an absolute uh, rock star right now. Yes, he was... Isn't it amazing? Um, yeah, so this is... This is bad. This is Jarrett relaunched like 300 between WWF and WCW over Definitely the years. Definitely not Hangman Page stuff here. This is Jeff Jarrett relaunched again. Yeah. This is not cowboy shit. And he's facing off with Mr. Aguila, who was one half of the light heavyweight championship out at WrestleMania. Yeah. And Jeff Jarrett fucking kills him in two minutes. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Basically, we're supposed to remember that the last few months of whatever Jeff Jarrett was supposed to be ne- never happened. <laughs> and then they're also at the same time telling you that the light heavyweights don't matter. No, they don't. Not at this point. And Jeff Jarrett, Mike, and I'm trying to remember what he was part of the whole NWA gimmick, right? Uh, at one point. Yes. I remember when he first came back and did one of the shoot interviews, which everybody does a shoot interview in 1997, 98. And that's what they do now. They do the shoot interview, try to get themselves over. And, uh, yeah, we wound up with uh, double J, um, on a horse. Yeah. The less said, the better. We had Steve Blackman come out afterwards to build that feud. Yeah. So you remember Steve Blackman, Jeff Jarrett feud. How come Steve Blackman there came back to TNA to continue that? I don't know. That would have been nice. I would have preferred uh, Steve Blackman over a lot of the uh, Jeff Jarrett challenges we saw. I'm still disappointed we never got that uh, Steve Blackman bounty hunter show they were shopping around. Seriously, oh, that'd be. Some I would have been stuff. all in on that, dude. That's like wrestling's version of Dog the Bounty Hunter, man. I was in. By the way, while we're speaking on Steve Blackman, real quick, I just want to point out that. Uh, I had a Steve Blackman action figure back in the day. And it was weird because he was wearing this gi that he had. The gi had like a tiger on the back of it. And I never remembered Steve Blackman having a gi with a tiger on the back of it. But on the back of it. But uh, later on on this show, he's wearing it. So I'm like, oh, okay. That's, that explains that. And do, do you realize, because I know a lot of people don't realize and remember this. Steve Blackman actually had a fucking, like, five-year run in WWF. 97 to 2002. Do you remember before that? He was supposed to sign with them back in, like, oh, gosh, is he the late 80s or early 90s? He was in South Africa or somewhere in Africa. He caught malaria. Yeah. And he was out of action for a long time. And eventually, credits to Vince McMahon, I guess. Uh, when he, once he's ready to go in 97, they brought him on board. <laughs> That's right. So a weird career for Steve Blackman. So we, um, Steve, uh, uh, sorry, um, Steve Austin is getting arrested. And, yeah, um, you know, this basically. happened a lot during this, uh, during this time period. That's right. He got arrested a lot. I don't know how he... Uh, that's looked down as record, right? All these arrests, I guess so. Wrestling shows that led to one of the one of those random Monday Night War segments where Vince or Bischoff would come out to the ring for approximately ten seconds for no real reason <laughs> to essentially say one line and drop the mic. Yeah, and that's what Vince did. He just came out and said, "I had to have him arrested. I had no choice." Mic drop, and then he struts out. Well, that was to establish that Vince McMahon was not a good person. That's right. He is the boss. So we go to tag team action next, Steve. Yeah. It is 
Farouk and The Rock battling Ken Shamrock and the previously mentioned Steve Blackman. And The Rock is all fired up. He wants to start Hold on a second. I have, I have a question first. I have a couple questions. For one thing, I'm not sure about this Farouk and Rock tag team. And for another thing, wasn't Steve Blackman teaming, uh, teaming up with Flash Funk? Well, things change this night after WrestleMania, dude. you got to relaunch things, reboot. Dave, uh, Dave, you tell me things changed. Plans changed, <laughs> Plans brother. Plans changed, that's right. So, oh, there's Shamrock and Blackman, very badass team. That's right. I like it. But you got The Rock. He's all fucking fired up early on. He wants to start with Ken Shamrock. He gets yeah. in there. They kind of dance around. Then he turns <laughs> around and tags out to Farouk. Well, so, you know, I mean, Farouk was the healthy man in the match. That's right. He was talking about his ankle and hamstring were bothering him, so... They yeah, have I mean, a match only, here. It was only in that crappy-ass Battle Royal, so he should be fine. So they have a match here. It's about four minutes long. Farouk is doing okay the, until he needs the tag. And he goes yeah. to make the tag, and The Rock is all ready and fired up, and then he starts pulling his hand upward. Upward. And he's like, come on, stand up, you jabroni. Jerry Lawler was saying, yeah, the uh, Farouk needs to stand up to make the tag. That's right. So The Rock drops down. He gives him the old <laughs> alligator arms. Uh, and then Farouk ends up losing this match. Post-match, he is pissed. belly the belly shades of Magnum TA. That's right. So he's obviously pissed off after the match and said he has had enough of The Rock's bullshit. He calls him down to the ring for an ass-whooping. The nation <laughs> is befuddled by all this. They don't know what's going on. The Rock shows up. They have a short brawl. They get pulled apart. Farouk wants more. And then The Rock dropped the hammer because he raised the eyebrow. Yeah. And the Nation of Domination turned on Farouk. They beat him back, and The Rock closes by saying, go back to Tahiti or wherever you came from. Yeah, exactly. I got to tell you, though, I have to point out, as much as I love The Nation, as much as I love Kama and D'Lo, Mark Henry, that is one of the weaker three-person beatdowns I've ever seen. It was no horseman beatdown for sure. No, it didn't look too good. <laughs> it looked pretty awkward, let's be honest. But uh, at least Rock came back in to hit the old rock bottom and uh, told him to go back to Tahiti. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was, but uh, yeah, good stuff there. And the Rock now established as the ruler of the Nation of Domination. That's right. And, you know, coming out of this, too, we would also see the Nation of Domination members starting to get actual characters other than big black dudes. Yeah, which is great. I yeah, mean, no, the, I, I, that's what I mean. It's it's great. Because I, I, Kama was the supreme fighting machine at one point, but then he was just Kama Mustafa. Yeah. D'Lo was the former like accountant dude. He was just yeah, D'Lo Brown. Kind of guy in a suit. Yeah. And Mark Henry was just Mark Henry, former Olympic dude. So there was no actual like really defined characterization with any of them. And, of course, D'Lo became the chest protector, head-swiveling dude. You had um, Mark Henry becoming sexual chocolate, and then we got the Godfather. Yes. Pimping, pimping ain't easy. And, of course, we can't forget the blackest brother of them all down the line, Owen Hart, joining the nation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, it wasn't a race thing, is what we, That's what right. we learned later on. It wasn't a, not a race thing. He was a, Owen was a full-blown road sign at that point. I um I always wanted them to do a um a playoff of the Steve Martin movie The Jerk with Owen Hart doing a video package with him like <laughs> walking into the locker room like I was born, I was a, born poor a poor black, black child, child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to explain his introduction into the nation uh, but uh no but happen. obviously a, a big turning point for the rock is he's um 
he, he dismisses Farouk. He is going to be focused on more as the ruler of the leader of the nation yes. and all that. So it's, a, again, we talk about the rock continuing to grow and everything, and it's a very important thing. And uh, talking about turning points and um, in the show over these two yeah. shows and um, the Monday Night War kind of in general. Mm-hmm. Good old Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley is out. It's promo time, and um, I got to tell you, Steve, I think the Mandela effect hit me because I was almost positive that there was a tank involved here like all DX things. <laughs> no. no, not quite yet. There wasn't a tank there just yet, but they were talking about how there was a there could be a rift in D-Generation de- X That's is right. what the word was heading into us. There's some speculation about a rift. And uh, Triple H explained it. He said, Shawn Michaels dropped the ball on Mike Tyson. He kept asking if Mike was in 100%, and obviously he wasn't. Yeah. So tonight was going to be a brand new D-Generation X led by him. Obviously, China's at his side, and yep. he has a new recruit. And this is when they introduced the returning Shawn Waltman. Yes. Fresh off of his WCW firing. Look who's back. Oh, yeah, man, Jim Ross. Exciting. Jim yeah. Ross sounded absolutely disgusted. Look who's yeah, well, look back. Look who's back. He's yeah, like, he... you know. <laughs> and obviously, I thought I got rid of this guy. What the hell? And obviously, <laughs> Waltman looks very different from his one, two, three kid days that a lot of fans probably saw him in WWF last as. Yeah. He had, he had the, the long hair. He got the beard. And he's just. Well, let's be honest. A lot of these fans knew who Six was. <laughs> yeah. So and he comes out and uh, as Steve joked on earlier, the um the the shoot promo era of the Attitude Era. Yeah. Uh, Sean Waltman comes out. Uh, they talked about uh, you know what it, Triple H called him an indentured servant for the last two years. <laughs> um, Sean Waltman, it, totally bitter asshole, is well deserved against Hogan and Bischoff Absolutely. here. Absolutely, well deserved here. Yes. No uh, he claims that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash would be right there with them if they weren't being held hostage by WCW. That's right. We we can't we 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 have to point out how Hulk Hogan came out on television and told and said that uh, six there couldn't cut the mustard. Well, Hulk Hogan, you suck, pal. That's right. <laughs> He's not wrong. And then you know he talked about how if Hulk Hogan backed up, that Eric Bischoff's nose goes straight up his ass, and you know he had for breakfast. And Jr. responds with, "Well, he's telling the truth so far." Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you you gotta love little lines like that that are like perfectly placed and make sense. So um, this is uh, this is the the start of the reformed Degeneration X. Yes. Triple H, China, and the kid. Is uh you know um Jr. kept calling them throughout because I guess they weren't quite sure what they were going to call. No, they hadn't. No, I'm sure they hadn't decided quite yet what they were going to call them. So they go the kid, you know, not the one two three kid. Yeah. So that was uh one of the big angles on this show, obviously. Besides Austin Stunning McMahon, and there was still more to come. We got a coming soon, and use your own jokes here, Val Venus yeah. video package. That's right. Yes, uh, how does Val keep popping up on these retro shows we do? Is what I'm wondering. It's amazing, but it's yeah, he's kind of always there somehow. That led to amazing. Mark Marrow versus Takamichinoku in an obviously not title match because Mark Marrow is not 205. Mark is a little bit over the cruiserweight limit at this point. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure it's 205 or not, but whatever it was, he was over it. 
Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, Mark. I mean, Mark was still, like, in good shape, but that was a dude that when he blew out his knee, he definitely put on the weight. Yeah. yeah. Again, he he, he's far from fat, gimmick. but yeah. yeah. And that's why he turned to the boxer gimmick. But before the match started, Luna Vachon came out and challenged Sable to an evening gown match at Unforgiven. And then it's made sure to... promo from Sable, too. From, from Luna here And then well. made sure to call her a slut and a bitch because it's the Attitude Era. Absolutely. Uh, people were into it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I got to tell you, Jerry Lawler was not quite sure he wanted to win that match. So, Takamitsunoku then loses in a minute and 40 seconds. Yeah. Light heavyweight champion going down. Both guys in the light heavyweight championship match the night before at WrestleMania. Jobbing well, in under what? two minutes. I'll say, I'll say this. At least Mero did a low blow. You know, Mero had to cheat to beat the light heavyweight champion. So, I'll give him credit for that. But that we weren't done, Steve, because as Jim Ross would say it, three mystery oriental men arrived. And they beat the <laughs> shit out of Taka. We had, yeah. saw a big senton from young Dick Togo. And yes. that was the debut of Kayentai. That's right. Dick Togo and Shofunaki and uh, who else was there? Help me out here. Oh, Christ. Now I'm trying to remember. I was... I was hoping you wouldn't ask me the names because I couldn't remember offhand. <laughs> I I'll, remember I'll look two. it up real quick. Here. I remember those too, but uh, I was just going to kind of defend uh, uh, because men's, men's tail. Yeah. Oh, men's, men's tail. tail. Yes, of okay. course. Oh, okay. I forget men's tail, but oh, uh, actually, it, it was uh, that was not Shofunaki at first. That was uh, oh. Sheer Sheer Dick Togo and Men's Teho were the initial. Um, iteration. So. Okay, well that makes sense because I did not recognize Funaki out there. I I recognized Dick Togo. I did not recognize Funaki. So okay, I, I so where where's Funaki? He didn't pop until later. Okay. By the way, that was Kaz Hayashi as Shiryu or whatever the fuck you say. Oh, okay, all right. So, but uh, yeah, so that was, that was the big Kaintai debut. Yeah, that's a, the thing is that's why I'm gonna defend using Taka as a jobber here because, I mean, even though you're jobbing out the light heavyweight champion. You gave him the out with Marrow hitting the low blow and cheating to beat the guy. And then you have these three guys come out to beat him up to start another angle. So at least it serves some kind of purpose. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not a big Kaintai fan, are you? No, I like Kaintai and I get the whole idea behind it, but I don't think jobbing your champion in under two minutes works in any way. Uh, it was the WDF light heavyweight title, though. I mean, let's I be don't honest. care. I think it's shitty to do that. I it led to something. That's all. I'm, that's that's all. It led to choppy choppy your PP and Mr. Yamaguchi. It also led. I mean, but you also put Sable a Sable over 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 earlier, which was important to keep that going. So you did, but again, I just I don't think it did a lot for Taka. I mean, at least no, it didn't. A little more that. competitive would have been. I think he could have given them a little more and still done the same finish and then done the attack. And it, it did lead the choppy, choppy your pee pee, though, which we, we yeah, agree right. is very important. And they had Val Venus premiere, too, right before Taka was showing the ring. So it might have been a little foreshadowing there, as a matter of fact. There you go. That's right. Foreshadowing, which people don't, do not do in this day and age. But uh, back in 1990, WDF, we, we did, by God. So next They probably th- didn't, let's be honest. I'm, just, I'm, I'm giving too much credit, probably. Next up, we had the NWA World Tag Team Championship match. <laughs> and you're not going to believe this, but the Headbangers were the champions. Yeah, I, I was wondering when that happened. I'm sure they had beat the Rock and well. Roll Express previously, I believe. Oh, okay. 
So they were defending against the new Midnight Express bodacious Bob and fucking bombastic Bob, bombastic, bombastic Bart. Thank you. Yeah, I can I can remember which one is bodacious, bodacious and bombastic. I can never keep that straight. So and of course you have Jim Cornette out there. They have a four minute tag team match, and the hold new- on, hold on. We have to point out that before the the match starts. Jim Cornette is kind of rambling in the ring. We don't really hear him. But eventually, he introduces Dan the Beast Severn. And That's Dan right. the Beast Severn comes out looking like Freddie Mercury in a suit. Look, looking like Jack Freddie Mercury wearing his father's suit. Yeah, pretty much. But <laughs> Ill-fitting suit. Yes, the, the former Ultimate Fighting Champion and NWA Champion of the World, Dan Severn. You know, because uh, you're an NWA Champion, you have to wear suits. I just, I just wish that Dan Severn had gone shopping with Nick Aldis is what I'm saying. I don't think Nick they, I, don't think, I don't think Dan Severn was prepared to spend that kind of money on the suit. Nick Aldis knows how to shop and uh, how to wear clothing. I'm just saying that he could uh, Dan Severn could use a little lesson from that guy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he could have. So we have new tag team champions of, as the New Midnight Express hit <laughs> the rocket launcher at four <laughs> minutes to win the titles. Oh yeah, and then, the rocket launcher. Jesus Christ. And then post match. Dan Severn kicked the shit out of the headbangers because yes he did yes he job. did he he beat up those men. They're trying to build a feud with uh, Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn, which let's be honest, and I did not know this at the time, but going back, you know, nowadays I know that if you had seen Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn fight, you would not want to see that match again. Yeah, he really no. You wouldn't. would not want to see that. There, that's not drawing in any new fans because any UFC fans hearing about that is like, mm, we're good, we're good, we're all right. Well, they'd see that because <laughs> yeah. that was a thirty minute, was a thirty minute stinker, uh, something oh, like God. that. It was horrible. Brutal. Yeah. Worst, one of the worst UFC matches of all time. <laughs> With like two teenagers dry fucking on a couch. <laughs> Yeah, nobody was tuning in to see that stuff. I mean, you might be able to trick these uh, wrestling fans into thinking, well, you know, Dan Severn's a badass and Ken Shamrock's a badass. But anybody that knew better would have been like, no, that's not going to work. Those yeah, two guys good. have their chemistry at all whatsoever. I don't think they met Dave. I don't think they even had a match. Did they have a match that day off? I'm not sure they did. I, I don't remember. It, they, I don't think they ever did it. I was hoping for the Lions then. Yeah, no, well, it is Ken Shamrock and Owen, and Owen Hart was the Lions. Well, I think they did another, too, with Blackman. They, might, they, they did might it more have. than once. Well, I remember the, the match they had, the uh, the circle of cars with uh, Shamrock and Blackman. Yeah. What the hell was that called? I don't know. but I mean, yeah, Whatever it was, it was a fantastic they did, piece Didn't they do, like, uh, Owen and fucking uh, Shamrock in the dungeon as well? Yes, they did. <laughs> they right. had Owen. And Dan Severn was a referee for that piece of business, too. So it was just... A lot of good stuff happened in 1998, folks. And, a lot uh, of stuff. <laughs> a lot of stuff happened. And, uh, you know, the end, let's be honest, was this the last time the NWA Tag Team Championship appeared on WDF television? I, I assume it was. I think so, but I don't remember offhand. But it was. It didn't. No, they're, they're being phased out by this point already. It was an interesting time. That is for Yeah, Jeff sure. Jarrett got, uh, d- he got divorced from the group and uh, they're head on their way out the door. So this leads to Paul Bearer and Kane arriving to kill Tommy. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on a second. Hold what? on a second. What am I forgetting? We're skipping over Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, using Steve his Austin one... using his one phone call he to call Jim Ross. He used his one phone call to call Jim Ross. That's right. Live on the air at that. <laughs> Fantastic. 
You are correct. He uses one phone call, call Jim Ross, and he, he lets know that Vince Man's ass will belong Stone Cold Steve Austin next week on Raw. Yes. And it's one of those things that, like, very few could pull that off. It's Steve Austin calling from jail works. Mm-hmm. It's nice build for next week when Stone Cold comes back. And so like we have Kane and Paul Bearer now um, killing time, challenging The Undertaker to an Inferno match at Unforgiven. Yeah. We're killing time, by the way, because they're, this is back in the day before steel cages raised or lowered from a ceiling. That's you know, right. you know, nowadays, all these steel cages, they're already built. They're already up on the ceiling before a show starts. And they get their own entrance. Dum, 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 they get their dum, own dum, entrance. Dum, they get dum, lowered dum. down. No, back in this day, the WF had a big blue cage. And, but it's like, you know, there's a bunch of uh, bars and whatnot, and they had to drag it out from backstage and put it up. So they had to kill some time while they're putting it up. <laughs> and then, like, kind of the worst part of it is, is they drag this cage out for a four-minute match. It wasn't even done when they uh, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Car Charlie came out. They're still working on it. Uh, it's crazy, but uh, do you miss the Big Blue Cage? No. No. Yeah, me neither. I was you never. Know, I, I was to... never a Big Blue Cage fan because I was more of an NWA fan growing up. So I was used to cages that okay. looked like real chain. And I the... used to be a little. I used to be a little nostalgic for it, but then when I would go back and watch things, I was like, eh, you know. It's, well, it's the thing right. is, is there's not a ton of classic big blue bar cage matches. Like I, yeah, lo- I, mean, I love the Owen. Yeah, Brett Owen. One. I think is Brett Owen might be it. Yeah. And Hogan Orndorff on the uh, Saturday Night's Main Event is pretty good too. Yeah, it, that, it's pretty good, and it's very interesting because of the angle and everything. But it's like, yeah. yeah it's, um, but yeah, there's not exactly a lot of classics in that one for me. And again, if you disagree, that's cool. But I am not on Team Big Blue Cage. It's um, it's fine for its time, but you know, <clears throat> the Inferno match. How are you a fan of the Inferno match? <laughs> uh, no, those generally sucked as well. <laughs> the The visual is pretty cool, though. I'll give them that. The, the visual nice. was cool as hell, but it generally sucks. So I would hate to be at ringside for one of those too. It'd get pretty hot. So. But this was the Tag Team Championship match. The New Age Outlaws rematching Cactus Jack and Terry Funk after the dumpster get, match. where the We should point out that the Road Dog is wearing a Job Squad t-shirt. Yes, and uh, Billy Gunn was wearing a Kenny from South Park shirt. Yes, yes. New Age Outlaws were pretty good in their t-shirt uh, paraphernalia. Yeah, and, Bill, and as Road Dog was doing his entrance, he said, uh, you, might, uh, you might think from last night that we were a member of the squad. And he pointed yeah. to the shirt, so. And at this time, yeah, at this time, Al, Al Snow is in the ECW at this point. That's right. Yeah. Doing the Job Squad gimmick and whatnot. So that, so it's a, it a pretty cool thing. You know, a little shout out to their yeah. to their good friend. I know Mick Foley and Al Snow. Do you think Mick Foley and Al Snow are still good friends? What do you think about that? Mm, probably not. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> I mean, I think Mick got upset when he was sent that Best of Al Snow DVD and it was blank, so... <laughs> yeah, probably so, but uh, he had you know, an afternoon set aside and then popped it in. Was like what? Yeah, but let's be honest. This match here was just kind of uh, window dressing for the eventual angle. And let's be honest, Terry Funk had a very badly bruised kidney and shouldn't been he shouldn't have been in the ring. Let's be honest. So he smartly handcuffed him to the cage pretty early on. So it's mostly Cactus Jack versus two guys. Yeah, and it, it comes off as a, a great angle because they handcuff him to the cage. They're beating the shit out of McFoley. McFoley tries to make his comeback. He's actually doing really well, 
until Triple H, China, and the kid run out. The yeah. kid lays into him with some chair shots to the fucking dome as yep. he's on top of the cage, leading <laughs> to a spiked pile driver from the New Age Outlaws. That is it. We officially That's have it. our champions again. Degeneration X 2.0, if you want to call it that, is officially yeah. launched and should be no surprise because leading into Mania on and off, the New Age Outlaws were lightly associated with Degeneration X. Yeah. And it was yeah. something were- that people kind of always wanted anyway. Yeah, they would gang up for some angles, and uh, you know, New Age Outlaws would do some stuff, and Hunter and Sean would kind of applaud them, like, "Yeah, buddy." And yeah, we all we all kind of figured heading into it. If we're if you're watching the shows, you kind of figured, yeah, those guys, they're together, and it'll be made official at some point. And sure enough, uh, with Road Dog and Badass being part of the new DX Army, <laughs> made perfect sense. So, you have. Um... You have the big angle there. You have DX set and locked in its new version. You have Stone Cold and Vince off and running. And it's, um again, much like WrestleMania, I find it to be... It's not a great show, but it's a very interesting and important show. It it's is. a momentum-swinging show. And this was really the time where WWF really took the lead and didn't look back. We should point out real quick, uh, real quick, another angle that came out of this match with uh, Cactus Jack, Terry Funk getting beaten up and whatnot. And uh, I, I was going there. I was, I was hoping you'd want to talk about it. Yeah, so we we want to talk about this because Mick Foley talks about it in his book where they're being tended to and whatnot. And sure enough, the ring announcer chimes in after they've gone off the air. Don't worry, folks. Stick around. Uh, we got a big old dark match coming, whatever. And coming up next will be Stone Cold Steve Austin. And the fans go batshit crazy because Steve Austin was their guy. He was everybody's guy at this point. And they just go crazy. And, you know, and Cactus felt a little offended because he was getting tended to. He got the shit beat out of him. And uh, the fans didn't care. They were chanting for Stone Cold instead. And that led to... Uh, a lot of stuff with Mick Foley. That led to the, the Foley heel turn, the big Raw match with Terry Funk at one point, him joining Vince McMahon, dude love, just all kind of shit coming up, dude. It's a, it, it's so cool when you think of everything that came out of the show. It's it's really, it's good. How come you don't hear about this stuff nowadays? You never hear any stories like this now. Never well, anything remotely close to Because they're busy making moments, man. And nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, you never see any lower card. How come you never see any lower card guys getting beaten up and then getting pissed off because people cheer for Roman Reigns or something? You never hear that. It never happens. Because yeah. nobody cares. But like I said, it's it's a very important two-day stretch for the WWF at the time. Again, they, they don't necessarily feel like great shows, but they're extremely important that yeah. a lot of things came out of. And like I said, the other thing was, is this is where the WWF just kind of took the lead. And you might be wondering, what did WCW Monday Nitro counter with that very night? <laughs> High Voltage versus Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom in a no contest. Perry Saturn defeating Fit Finley. Uh, Chris Jericho defeating Marty Jannetty to retain the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Prince Iakea defeating Glacier. Juventud Guerrero defeating El Dandy. Buff Bagwell and Raven going to a no contest. Kidman defeating Disco Inferno. Jim Neidhart defeating Kurt Henning by disqualification. 
Booker T and Chris Benoit going to a time limit draw for the TV title. I'll, I'll admit that, that actually sounds seven. good. Probably the best of seven, actually. Yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. Psychosis and Ultimo Drag- Dragon going to a fucking no contest. Mm. Bill Goldberg defeating Ray Trailer. Kevin Nash and Randy Savage defeating Lex Luger and Sting, which that may have been okay, at least. Yeah, that probably would have been fine. And Roddy Piper defeating Hollywood Hogan by disqualification in the main event. Yeah, you know, I, I want to say that uh, I think WCW still had the edge as far as ratings go. I want to say, and I'm probably wrong on this, I think the night that WDF took the lead was uh, uh, a couple weeks later on when uh, they booked the whole Austin versus McMahon match. I think that's when they took the lead, I think. I could be wrong. Well, in g- generally speaking, though, it is around that time that it all happened, you know, and the the tide turned. It was, you had yep. the Mike Tyson thing. You had the Austin era beginning, and it's just – it's a big deal, man. So, again, if you look back contextually, it's um, it's very historic and stuff that if you haven't watched or have kind of poo-pooed for some reason, it's uh, – it's worth going back to watch to see the important things that were done here. And it's a, it led to a big time for the company. It, you know, cause I said they eventually throughout this, this is the time where they start and you know, it's either this night or as Steve said in a couple of weeks when they do Austin and McMahon, it's right around this time where it fully swings for the last time. WCW never yeah. comes back. It eventually leads to them. They doing, go back and forth for a little bit, I think, but it eventually goes to WDF all the way. Yeah, and it's just like they eventually start doing so many hot shots, stupid things, and that company goes out of business, obviously. And it's just, it's crazy when you think about it. So, a really fun time to look back on, Steve. And um, a lot done in two nights. Absolutely, a lot done in two nights. And uh, it's kind of amazing to sit back and watch a show like this. And I think the... I think the reason I kind of prefer these type of shows to what we see nowadays is, uh, you know, mostly with like Raw and SmackDown and stuff like that. Even XT to a degree, they have a lot of class. They have a lot of great matches. I would say that I mean, in this day and age, the probably the worst match on a given Raw or SmackDown would be better than anything on one of these shows. Let's be honest, right? Yeah, well, not not as the far worst as like match, in, in ring I mean... work rate goes. Pretty close. I I probably. Pretty close, but the stories told on these shows, uh, today's shows don't match it as far as like Raw and SmackDown. And I would even say NXT. I, 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 as much as we love NXT from time to time, I think their storytelling is. Uh, it's I'm been not, really cold the last few weeks. We've talked yeah, it's about. not really on par with this stuff. To be honest with you. I mean, to me, and I'm even defending stuff where like you know Taka Mishner gets gets jobbed out, but it's leading to something. And it feels like a lot of times, even on NXT, where you get pe- people jobbed out, it doesn't lead to anything. Like, Ricochet getting jobbed out could lead to something, but it doesn't feel like it is. I have no faith that it will. I mean, the- in theory, yeah. it might, but, you know, fucking Cedric Alexander losing all those matches was supposed to lead to something, too. Cedric Alexander's more of an AEW audience, so I can tell you about that. <laughs> so but yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... Uh, it's just uh, one of those things where, you know, you, you have the great work rates. And I'm not sure, you know, I think this generation of wrestler, they grew up, they watched the great matches, they wanted to do, they wanted to have the great matches. 
But I'll, I think they kind of skipped over the parts where they're supposed to uh, interact with the public and make people care. Yeah, and it's... um. The other thing, too, is you look at certain things, and it's not like everybody in the world of wrestling is failing with this. No. Because New Japan does tell really, really good stories. And AEW has been... You know, we, we talked about like the Cody and uh, MJF stuff was really great. Yeah. The Cody Jericho stuff was great. And I the, think, yeah, they're on a pretty good stretch right now, I think. Yeah. So it's, it's not that nobody's trying is the other thing, too. And I'm not necessarily saying that WWE isn't trying at this stage, but it's not clicking or coming off nearly like it did back in 1998, for example, as we're talking about. And I I, I will agree with Steve. It's like, yeah, you look at just baseline wrestling, baseline wrestling will kill the Attitude Era, no doubt, comparative to today. But again, I mean, it's great to have great wrestling, and I love great wrestling, but sometimes you just, you need those stories to take it over into a memorable show. You need somebody to care about. Yeah. Like I know, I know a lot of people like that really enjoyed like the revolution pay-per-view, for example, they really enjoyed it because the, the big payoff at the end was John Moxley winning the title and revealing yeah. that he had been fooling Chris Jericho this whole time and that his <laughs> eye wasn't fully injured. Damn right. Damn right. It's, it's just, it's very similar to how WrestleMania 14, we just went to see Steve Austin win. Exactly. We so, didn't care. It's not like, you know, in WWE, you know, uh, how many times have they tried to crown Roman Reigns without really crowning him? They don't want to give us that big payoff. I mean, the, it's, uh, yes, sometimes you, you just need to give that big payoff, I think. So as far as I can tell. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's going to kind of wrap us up the WrestleMania 14, the Raw the night after. A very important time in WWE history for various reasons. Again, the rise of Austin. Eternal um, time. Just DX with the, the new formation with Shawn Michaels leaving as a wrestler for four years, but popping in occasionally, but it never really led to anything due to Shawn's issues. But again, while Shawn was gone, he did, even though he wasn't a huge part of it, he did start the wrestling school. Uh, yep. Rudy Boy Gonzalez did most of the training, but you go back to the likes of Brian Kendrick and Daniel Bryan and yep. other people that worked out of that school and got into wrestling. So, you know, Sean didn't have like, you know, Lance Cade and others. Yeah. He, you know, he, he had an effect and there's nothing trippier than watching the MFW show from Japan with Sean <laughs> Michaels as a special guest referee because he wanted to get his boys on the undercard. And get a payday. That's, that's pretty dedicated right there. You got to give him credit for that. So, pretty dedicated. Was he working with Anita? Was Anita there for that? Uh, I don't remember. I have the show uh, actually on VHS. Anita versus Shawn Michaels would have been quite the match. No, he was the uh, special guest referee. I think it was for when they did the um, Hayabusa versus H2 exploding ass match. Where they did the uh, bottle rocket up Hayabusa's ass. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally not joking by the way. Yeah, well, yeah, we believe it. But you know, talk, talk about two masters of motion. It would be Mr. Onita and Mr. Shawn Michaels. Yeah, Shawn Michaels and exploding death match with Onita. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yes, it would. So, no doubt about it. But that that kind of wraps us up for this, Steve. And that's, um, I don't know, anything else you want to drop about this that you think you need to say, or are you good? Well, I'm just, uh, I, I was thinking about Terry Funk, actually. And Terry Funk, at this point, I believe they're hyped on commentary, was 53 years old. I believe they said it's 53, which I believe 
Isn't Bill Goldberg 53 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Is Bill Goldberg going to go out there with a bruised kidney like that? Like (laughs) Chainsaw Charlie slash Terry Funk had? Fuck no. Wait a minute. Good Lord. How badass is Terry Funk? And, you know... All right, welcome back to the next segment of the show and making his return to the podcast, BackBodyDrop.com's Ian Hamilton. Ian, how are you, my friend? Yeah, not too bad, Larry, all things considered. It's a massively different world to two weeks ago when I was over in Germany, but yeah, times change. That's right, things do drastically change, and that is why you were actually on the show, because you were in Germany. You were at WXW 16 Karat Gold, which is... Kind of the last big-scale event with fans in attendance that we're going to see for a while, it looks like. Yeah, um, so I mean, bit backdrop, it was what, uh, we taped this on a Thursday, two weeks ago, the weekend started with uh, a show called Inner Circle at the Dubuque Academy from about 150, 170 fans. And it was before, I mean, we flew out the day before, and even then there was... Maybe not speculation, but a few bits of rumours which, you know, maybe they're going to cancel a show, maybe they're going to put a limit on. Uh, frankly, that wasn't the case. Um, but on night three, so this was Sunday night, they announced, there was talk that the local, the German local government in, and I'm going to butcher the name like Will Kuhn, but uh, Nord-Westfalia, I think it is, uh, the region where Oberhausen is, they were going talking about putting a ban on events at fans greater than a thousand and wouldn't you know it the crowd that day was about 12 1300 so yeah wxw dodged an almighty bullet having these what six seven shows over weekend in front of four thousand plus combined fans uh because obviously a week later ott were meant to have their scrapper menu in dublin they both got cancelled and you know what a difference a week makes and that, that is the craziest thing, because like you said, they got in just under the wire, and uh, Carrot is kind of their big weekend every year, and that would have been obviously horrible if everything would have got canceled for them, but luckily they got these shows in, they are now available online for you to watch, and uh, Ian, just, um, you know, how many times have you gone to Carrot overall, and like, what is your general experience with it, man? Tell, tell everybody about it. So this be my third time going over for 16 karat gold. Um, actually, when we get into Dusseldorf Airport, worked out my mind. So this three times I've done 16 karat gold. Um, there's another three times I've been over for the World Tag League slash World Tag Festival. That's their fall tournament. Uh, plus been over two more shows. So this be my eighth trip to Germany. Uh, most Minoba House and 4WXW. And yeah, 16 karat gold. Like I said, I first started going in 2018. Uh, that's the year Ilya Dragunov made his return to WXW. And the videos on YouTube, you know, it's the, the, the one return which just blew the roof off the place. He'd done the, I don't say fake retirement, but it kind of was like a, you know, a, a farewell that really wasn't. Um, and yeah, we did that in 2018 at the um, so it, the venue to runs in Germany is called in so in Oberhausen is called the Turbine Hall, which is by the name it's a former electric tur- uh, turbine hall. It's been converted to like a nightclub, you know, music venue, and there's two big halls in there. So the vast majority of WXW's events were on the smaller Turbine Hall too. Last year and this year, Carrot win the much larger Turbine Hall one. And last year they had, I don't want to say 
teething troubles. You know, they've run that venue before, but it's the first time they've run that particular room with, you know, I think last year about 1,500 fans in on night two. And there was a fair few complaints about how it was just one big flat floor, maybe a few standing, you know, raised standing areas, and a lot of people were caught out. This year, you know, and I've got to take my hat off to Dennis Birkendahl, uh, you know, artistic director, uh, Cassia Pills does you not know, runs all of WXW's video stuff. They completely knocked out the park with just the, the presentation. I mean, you've seen the show yourself, Larry. Yes. The presentation of this beats any independent promotion of Alpha Water. Now, dare say, you know, TNA, Ring of Honor, MLW, this the, the production on show for this. You know, you had obviously video screens. There's another video wall that was uh, facing away from the stage, so you weren't getting the, uh, the wacky head shrinkers camera on camera effect. But pretty much everyone in that room was able to get some view of the ring, and like I say, the production values for that particular this particular show blew pretty much everything out of the water from everything apart from, dare I say, WWE and New Japan to some degree. And I, I agree with that. The production was it, it was almost um, shocking how good it was when I popped it on because. I wasn't quite expecting it to look that good, but as you said, the, the venue looked great. The video on demand stuff is quite honestly beautiful, really. It's really great. You do not feel like you're watching a quote-unquote independent promotion. Um, it's just, it is a joy to watch. So for anybody that likes to pull that, well, I don't like watching low-quality crap, you have no excuse, let me tell you there. Yeah, it I mean, I know it's an easy dig. I mean, uh, Ref Pro Bat Will Ospreay's Axe Ever Junior match got a lot of criticism for. Dare I say, you no, know, the comparison was filmed on a potato, is the, you know, the dig people take. Um, and I don't know this for sure, but I know other podcasts were making this kind of comparison with you know, Rev Pro. Spend less money on your imports and spend it on production. And I know over the turn of the year, WXW have spent a lot of money on new cameras. Um, like if you go back through their archives, they were literally filming the shows as recently as last year on a handheld handycam. This year it is like literally, I don't want to say broadcast quality because I know the size of the cameras to be reused, but they were you no know, part, you no know, very much on that level. You know, cameras with uh, wireless transmitters. I you know I'm not a nerd for these kind of things, but I've been told by people who are that you are looking at potentially tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And you no, know, you make an investment in that, it pays dividends because you've got a product that you know fans are buzzing about, but also is not something where people are going to load and go, ah, this shit's you no know, blur, it's unwatchable. It actually is watchable. So yeah, dullwexlynow.com. Uh, thinks on Vimeo, you've got an absolute massive backlog and back catalogue of Dullwexly events. So yeah. Come, you know, come for sixteen carat gold, which we're not going to talk about, and stay for you no. Know, of the rest of their back catalogue, which on you know, these times you haven't gotten any excuse not to watch. That's right. It, it is the perfect time to kind of, kind of like I talk about, find something new maybe that you haven't checked out. And um, this weekend of shows is always a tremendously fun one. It's um, for some in some ways it's kind of like PWG Battle of Los Angeles in comparison to the fact that you know you're to get a lot of great well what we as reviewers like to call notebook matches. You're gonna get a lot of your great four star plus matches over the course of a weekend, and um, that's kind of what we're gonna talk about here today. We're not gonna like quite review the whole shows, but um, we're just gonna kind of talk about basically what our notebook stuff is the the biggest things that you should definitely check out 
But um, yeah, if you're looking for something new, what it's like nine ninety nine a month for it's like it's it, it, again it's it's an affordable streaming service. The the new stuff here looks amazing, and as Ian said, you have a large back catalog with a lot of interesting stuff that they you know over the years that you can check out. Uh, a lot of names that you know, and a lot of names that you probably will want to get to know. Yeah, and again, you know, we'll touch through the shows that I may say all these on direct screen now. I'll start with the Inner Circle. So, traditionally, these weekenders are held, you know, all the big shows in Oberhausen. They tend to do a show at their training academy. It's, um, like say, famously known, uh, fans call it Tim's House. Uh, you know, Tim Thatcher used to live there when he was based out of Germany. And literally, if you go back through the you know, Dubuque's uh, back catalogue, you'll see videos of you know, a lot of Academy shows. They film one once a year. But this is basically the uh, big training room they have. They cover up like, the weightlifting gear they have. Obviously, they don't want fans you know, bumping into you know, uh, you know, weight machines for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, so they you know, rearrange the building, have the ring up there, holds about 150, 170 fans. And... I've been to a good few shows there now, and I would say it's one of my favourite intimate venues in terms of you know, fan, you know, getting the number of fans in and just the general feeling of the building. Um, and also, you know, when you go to these shows, it feels like it's the true kickoff of these weekenders. You know, even though there was all the uncertainty, it felt like home to some extent. But, um, yeah, I mean, say in a circle, again, not going through all the results, but I would say if you're looking to uh, cherry-pick stuff... Um, so if you're looking for comedy, and again, if you're coming in with absolutely no background on WXW, maybe skip this one because you do kind of need some uh, degree of knowledge in. But there's a match between uh, Jay Skillet and a relative newcomer called Levaniel. Um, the joke here is Levaniel dressed up and acted like uh, Absolute Andy, former WXW, tag, uh, former WXW champion. Don't want to sell him short. But uh, Jay Skillet and Andy are regular tag team partners. Um, they end the weekend with tag gold, bit of a spoiler, but yeah, so they did the whole thing where Levaniel thought he was Skillet's tag partner, they wrestled each other. Uh, the absolute highlight of this match is towards the end where Levaniel does for, tries to do the Eddie Guerrero, no, no sidesteps of his opponent, charges into the ref, and then fake low blow. Except the referee didn't get bumped. He saw him do the, the clap and, oh, I've been punched in the balls, and completely called him out on it. So, you don't need to know the whole background, but just that one spot alone made the match more than worthwhile. Um, outside of that, if you're just looking for really good you know, notebook matches, top two matches on this one. Um, and what we'll say is this was a mystery show, so everyone went in not knowing, not even the names of people on the cards. There was no, normally they announced maybe two or three matches. This was, like I say, a complete mystery card. Um, semi-main event, Shikihiro Irie against Scotty Davis, and my God, this was amazing. Um, I was my hands by a massive fan of Irie, and you know, just seeing him come out and knew that we were in for some you know, absolute fantastic stuff. Scotty Davis, he's you know, not, I don't say small, but compared to Irie, he's you know, very much from a small side, and he bounced like a mother for him. Um, you know, it's been a while since I've seen Irie live, but you know, he does the pounce, which is absolutely fantastic. And towards the end, there's a cannonball that damn near murdered uh, poor Scotty. 
Uh, Iwie, absolute delight to see live, and Scotty Davis, Morn brought his own here. Uh, this one needs even old book four stars for me. Um, you haven't seen in the circle, have you, Larry? You know? No, I plan on catching it this weekend. Yeah, so this one, um, I think all the shows are up now. I think by the time this goes out, they'll all be up with English commentary. Um, Alan Farrell, Alan Cunahan did commentary for this show. Uh, he was unable to make the weekend due to you know, the early stages of what's going on now. Um, but he was thankfully he was able to do commentary on this show, and you know you could tell he, he absolutely loved this match. He also loved the main event, which I went four and a quarter on. And I'll say this, traditionally in the WXW Academy, it's very tight. Um, it's all pretty much a flat floor, so technical wrestling matches can get a bit lost. This match, absolutely not. Chris Ridgway, Daniel McCarvey against Daisuke Keita and Yuki Ishikawa. This was match-based. This was hard-hitting. The one thing part of this match was going to live with me until I die is the sight of Daisuke Keita being told by Ishikawa on the apron, kick him, kick him, just repeatedly. And yeah, they kicked, lots of kicks. Um, I know uh, Mark Bay, this is one of his dream matches, so as close as he's probably going to get to it. And yeah, you know, in terms of an atmosphere with 150-ish fans, at that kind of distance to the ring, you know, it's an absolute sight to behold. And yeah, this whole inner circle, about an hour, 40 minutes long, you know, you've got English commentary. So yeah, it's not, it's not a slog to watch. And it's a nice little setup for the rest of the weekend. And, you know, hop over to the Turbine Hall night one. Um, and think f- this entire weekend, in fact, and I've not included, um, so on my website, I put notebook matches as over four stars. But even then, for me, we've got one, three, four, we've got six matches that were four and a quarter or higher, and a few more that you know go over that. Um, first one from Carrot Proper is actually the opening match from the tournament: uh, Speedmall Bike Bailey against Chris Ridgeway, and they announced the first round matches going in. Obviously, not the order. Opening the show proper with this, exactly what I expected. Lots of kicks, you know. Uh, Ridgeway, he's been an absolute revelation since he's come back from Pro Wrestling Noah. Um, and this was an absolute delight. You know, lots of kicks, you know, Bailey. Traditionally in Europe, he's always been the bridesmaid, but never the bride. He's, you know, he's on a lot of promotions, but he's never really gotten much of a you know, sustained push, I would say. Um, and part of me think, thought he was going to be going out in the first round here, but you know, uh, Bailey swung for fences and hit. Uh, one with the ultimate weapon, that's the shooting star knees out the corner, which, you know, but, I, mean, I mean, you've seen this live, uh, speedball's uh, knees. He does force moonsault knees on the apron. That poor sod's going to be, you know, I suspect, you know, dealing with arthritis in the next decade. Uh, he's going to, if he's not careful, my man's going to end up like Muda with the double knee replacement down the line. But yeah, um, I agree. Uh, this match is absolutely great. Um, Speedball Mike Bailey has a great weekend, as we're going to discuss here. Um, I love the guy. I um I, I hate the fact that he has the uh the ban hammer in the U.S. because of the border issues in the past. But um I mean that's really great for like Europe and uh, him working in Japan and other places. And you know he's just he's grown as a performer during that time because he was a guy that a lot of people just looked at as a spotty kicks dude. I will hold my hands up. When he first came around to Europe after that ban, 
I was one of those guys. Um, it was a match I saw at Rev Pro, and I'm just, again, our good friends at Cage Match. Um, it was a good match I saw at Rev Pro at the cockpit years ago, um, which no, I would say I was dreading, but a lot of me was going, oh, it's just going to be kicks, isn't it? And yeah, a lot of it was kicks. Um, just pulling up. This would have been uh, probably one of my first cockpit shows. Uh, Zach Gibson against Mike Bailey. So we're talking October 2017. So not quite you no know, in the early days of his band, but you no, know, no, fairly. You no, know, you're talking about what two and a bit years ago. And since then, he's he's developed. You know, he's not just you know Mr. Kick, 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 Kick. And anyone who watches uh, Doug, you know, that's going to be a bit for uh, view. But yeah, this was, um, like I say, Bailey has you know, well and truly developed since those early days where, like I say, people saw him as a kicky spot monkey. Ridgeway, he's well and truly learned how to lay it in in his tours of Noah. And the two absolutely meshed perfectly here. Um, yeah, no, only thing I'll say is, you know, they maybe went a little bit long. That's kind of a theme for the weekend, but... Don't, don't ever put a, don't ever put you off this match. Fantastic match to get carried underway. Um, I, I do agree. It might have gone a smidge long, but it was a great. It's um, it's it's an easy four, if not a smidge above. Um, it's um, I I really enjoy it. And like you said, Ridgeway is a guy who has also um changed up his game. As you said, he's laying it in better. The uh, the Noah stuff has really helped, and um. Mike Bailey evolving over the past couple of years has been also a delight to see. And that's kind of the thing because, I mean, we're not being dicks about it, but Mike Bailey was kicking McFlips. That's what he was. Yep. And that's all he was for the longest time. I mean, granted, it was tremendously fun and he was good at it, but it's also, you look back at a guy like AJ Styles early on, AJ went from just the spot monkey dude who developed into a great high flyer, who then started developing into a really good professional wrestler, and then eventually became a great pro wrestler over the years. But if you would have told somebody back in you know, 2002 in the early TNA days that AJ Styles was going to be considered a really great professional wrestler and an IWGP Heavyweight Champion and shit like that, and even a WWE Champion, I mean, nobody really would have bought it because he was just a small total spots dude. But thankfully, people do evolve and learn over the years. And that is the thing I really enjoyed about this match was seeing both guys really grow and change. And um, yeah, definitely, as you said, a great way to start things off, no doubt. Guess go a little bit further down the show. Um, couple of, so to actually in this tournament, they had two academy guys, I guess you'd say. Um, rotation has been with Dwexler for a while. He qualified for a tournament in over traveling back in February. The other guy who got in the tournament was a fellow by the name of Julian Pace, whose gimmick is, well, I guess a lot of people, a handful of fans call him the shoot car. His gimmick is he's a Formula One race car driver. And it works you know, It works for him. You know, he generally does have the speed. He has the agility. There's a weird, I don't know how to call it. It was, it's a weird feeling around him all weekend. In which he had a section of fans who were booing him, and there was nothing in the storylines that you know really suggests like you know, maybe you could argue that you know, he'd gone on a run where he'd challenged for tag title for so long and lost. You could maybe say a turn, but the fans were booing, and there was nothing particularly overt to you know, warrant that kind of thing. 
his first round opponent was Bandido, who going to say, you know, made quite a bit for himself this weekend. And I went just under four stars on this. I know you went, uh, I think you went four on this. But this is a fantastic match for Julian Pace. He absolutely wasn't just being carried by Bandido. He more than, you know, held up his end of the bargain. Um, but yeah, Pace v Bandido, another cracking Pacey match, pardon the pun. And yeah, I think really the first uh, true acid test for uh, Julian in XXXW. Yeah, I, I did give four on this. I really enjoyed it. I thought Pace stepped up. I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect from him because I had seen extremely little of him. And as you said, this was not like a Bandito carry job or all Bandito. It was, I thought it was just a, a great little match. And um, yeah, Bandito is a dude who I love. I am glad he ended up uh, staying with Ring of Honor because he's a guy that they needed to keep. And um, he's a guy that very, very rarely disappoints. I thought he stepped up here. And as you said, he ends up having a very great weekend. And again, say with Julian Pace, okay, he went out in round one, but you know he you know, very much played part for the rest of the weekend. Uh, next match for me, I went uh, straight four on. And you know, this may be my uh, predilection towards Big Lads Wrestling. Black Taurus Shikahiro Irie, um, I think my preview I'd... Short-handedly described Torres as an agile big lad. Irie, if you've seen anything of him, of him you know he's very much rap mold. And by God, they didn't hold back. Um, there was you know, fair degree of English-speaking fans in the crowd, and was towards the end of the match was a chant of, "If you all love beef, clap your hands." Which, you no know, hats off to whoever started that one. Uh, but yeah, this was absolutely fantastic. You no, know, it's not the big lads wrestling that, dare I say, you know, WWE sometimes fall. No foul of it's just you no know, shoulder tackles and like these two you no know, left their feet a lot they you no know, swung for the fences. I say easy four stars for me, maybe a bit higher, but I think this one maybe went a bit short for my taste. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it went. I was I wanted. I think the good thing is I think I will agree it went a little short, but I think it was short in a non disappointing way because I wanted more. So, like, hopefully we eventually see it again. Um, yeah, I want four on it as well. This was um, this was an athletic hossy battle. You had those great hoss elements, but as you said, the big lads left their feet. A lot of agility shown in here. I, I love Taurus. Um, I, I want to see more of him. Like, Impact used him on their tapings, and it's like, they fucking did, like, shitty stuff with him. Like, stuff with Rhino and Moose. You surprise me. I know, right? I know you're shocked to hear this, but it's like, come on now. It's like, you're bringing this dude in and that's all you're going to do. But yeah, I love him. Erie is a guy I don't get to see enough of. And he's a guy pretty much every time I see, I walk away. I'm like, this dude is great. I think that impact show was uh, one taped in Mexico, right? Yeah. Yeah, so again, I'm guessing it's these issues, obviously, when all this blows over. Hopefully that gets sorted out, because I do feel uh, Black Taurus, if he gets that visa, whether it's AEW, whether it's, I don't know, MLW, but whoever, if they can get him nailed down with the work visa, you've got to start the making here. Yeah, well, that's the thing. that Triple A, according to uh, Cubs fan, when I was talking with him on the show, Tripway is very leery of trying to let like Taurus and uh, El Vikingo get visas, like proper visas, because they know once they do that they may not come back. P 
people learning from uh, wrestling of the past. Seems weird. That's right. But, um, yeah, I think that was uh, my last notebook match for sure. Like I say, nothing on this for me really stunk. Um, the only thing I would say, just a general criticism, and a lot of people you know, live were saying this as well, the show did run way long. Um, I think that was a bit of a theme for the whole weekend. Uh, we had 11 matches on this show. So it's 11... No, eight, nine, uh, ten. Sorry, so you had the pre-show four-way, the eight uh, first-round matches for all folding of the show, and then main events, a tag team title match in which Absolute Andy and Jay Skillet won the tag titles um, from the Pretty Bastards. And yeah, night one in the books. Say good, no, really solid, good show, and you know, nice way to set things up for day two. Um, so day two for sixteen cow gold was a show I didn't attend. Um, so, a guy called Mike Kilby, he's got this trend called the Wild Ride, usually for these festival weekenders, uh, particularly for Carrot. There's another company called Wrestling Cult, which runs roughly you know, around um, northwest Germany. They run about bi monthly. They do a show in a building called the Cult Temple, which is basically in the parking lot of the Turbine Hall. So, you, know, you don't really have that far to walk in terms of going from show one to show two. Only problem is that's like a 9.30 doors and when you're getting back to the hotel half midnight, doing photos, then sleep, breakfast and all that, you know, it do, it's not exactly conducive to sleep and you know, normal human function. But uh, yeah, from what, from what I've seen from people's views, it's an okay show. Um, but yeah, my first show of day two was Ambition and one that a lot of people have said is perhaps the best Ambition tournament yet. Uh, ambition it's the XW shoot style tournament and this one they had an eight-man tournament and two super fights they called them um again i so i have been rating ambition but really it's more of a personal preference i know some people you know a lot not a lot higher match for me but uh, for myself, I've got two super fights I put down in the notebook at four stars. Uh, Ethan Allen against Luke Jacobs. So these are two teenagers from the northwest of England. They team together usually as the Young Guns. So if you've seen Progress, you may have seen them uh, once or twice they've wrestled there. They had this fight in a promotion called Tetsujin back end of last year. And WXW's uh, CEO and referee Tassel Young was refereeing that match. It's an absolute blow-away match. I'm still yet to see it, and you'd think I'd get around to this, you know, what going through now, but um, he refereed it. was absolutely blown away. Uh, got on the phone to another hype in WXW, uh, Felix Kohlenberg, booked this match for the show, and, yeah, these two guys came into the match. I would dare say, apart from the, you know, English and Irish fans travelling in, Nobody who's out of Germany knew who these guys were, dare say. By the end, that wasn't the case. You know, they turned the who are you chance into, you know, you know, standing applause, please come back chance. And yeah, they had to beat the piss out of each other to do it. But yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic little match. Um, so Luke Jacobs was pretty much on the defensive me out. He had one uh, little window where he nearly made his partner, you no. Know, need to take care of his partner but in the end um i think it was a, a sit out tombstone knocked uh ethan allen loop um no sit out tombstone knocked ethan allen loop when he came back and won with uh some kicks and an armbar 
say it was a fantastic match. Even if you're not into shoot style, I would definitely say make some time for this one. So the whole ambition show is about an hour and a half long as well, so it's not, it's not going to be that big a time sink. Uh, other match, I think we talked about before we started recording, uh, Dice Kekeda, uh, Yuki Ishikawa, this was the super fight. They tend to announce these about six months out. And these two guys, their combined age, over 100, they did not mail us in. This was like your two cheeky grandas fighting each other. You know, the odd, not in terms of being, in terms of you know, obvious low blows, but you know, cheeky stuff with non-referee and lots of headbutts. So many headbutts. There's a gif that um, Tassel Young, uh, WXW Tassel on Twitter's retweeting uh, Fred with um, a running headbutt between these two. And seeing it live, I was you know, when I was watching from Press Park and you could hear quite a lot. Those kicks were full on. The headbutts were full on. And one thing that I was able to see from where I was sitting, which I guess a lot of the crowd didn't, uh, Timothy Thatcher, who's in for his final weekend in DirectW, he so he'd paid to fly over to watch this, and DirectW talked him into doing a farewell match. He was loving every single second of this. Mike, you'd expect he would. Yeah, I mean, you, that, that sounds like it's right up Tim Thatcher's alley, so I'm not surprised that he was loving that. And so the only other match, um, the final Daniel Maccabay, Chris Ridgeway, um, no, they were tag partners on the first day, finalists on this show. Absolutely fantastic match. Um, say Maccabee, he got a cheap pop. So, how much of Daniel Maccabee have you seen, uh, Larry? Not a ton. I, I've liked a ton of what I've seen, though. Uh, I think he's a dude that, I mean, he's a guy that I keep hearing other guys wanting to work with is, like, I think the biggest compliment I can give him. Like, I find him very enjoyable. I like a lot of what he's doing. I think he's done a lot of great stuff that I've seen. Like, I haven't seen a ton of him, but everything I see him is, like, at the baseline, very good, and then, like, most things are great. But I constantly see guys like Alex Shelley on Twitter. Like, I want to work with Daniel Makabe. And it was no different here. I mean, I, I think the big thing that opened a lot of people's eyes to Maccabee was he's done a trilogy with Tim Fatron, what I would dare say is for now a defunct 3 to one battle promotion. Um, he had a load of bookings lined up for WrestleMania weekend. I know this is now two years in a row. He had a match with uh, Eric Royal that's fallen through. Hopefully third time's a charm because that's the match I really want to see. Uh, but yeah, his big gimmick is he wears um, football shirts, soccer jerseys, no, to the ring. And... I kind of fell foul. So when he did his debut last year for, for the Ambition Tournament in October, he wore a Sunderland shirt that I'd given him a few days earlier. And uh, not by one of the local rival to Sunderland is Newcastle United. There's a few Newcastle fans I knew were going to be there. And you can hear on the VOD, I think it was actually um, Matthew Botchamane, you just see him going, you fucking what? Boom! <laughs> <laughs> or, like literally, oh, because uh, ambition they don't tend to do commentary on these. So the fact that you could hear, you know, the crowd just completely overwhelmed. But you know, he you no, know, he does get bits of stick for football shirts. I know night one he wore a Chelsea shirt, which didn't go down well. For the final here, he wore an Ireland uh, national team shirt that got an absolute monster pop from the Irish fans. And match itself, absolutely fantastic. Um, 
I need to rewatch this because I think a lot of my ratings for night two a bit on the low side. Again, this was like the third day of shows I'd seen. Um, so, yeah, fatigue just set in even live. Yeah, it's an absolutely cracking one. And I say, if you're into the kind of shoot style, just watch the whole damn show. You know, even you know, even the guys who are there to be the... I, don't, I, I hate the term, um, you know, the gimme, but uh, Vincent Heisenberg was a late substitute for Veit Muller, who at time of recording may well be done with wrestling, which, you know, who knows given what's going on, but he was a very late replacement. He held his own against Chris Ridgeway, didn't last long, but you know, didn't embarrass himself. Uh, you know, that's the worst match, then you know, it's a good show. We followed that up with the WXW Now Showcase. Um well we'll say there's nothing on here that says in the notebook based on my star ratings live. Uh, but just to give a bit of background, the WXW Now Showcase so it's basically a big advert for WXW now. Um, the WXW streaming service has more than WXW on it, so it's a bit like high spots, IWTV, that kind of thing. Um, as as we stand now, they have, uh, I'll just reel them off, a Hungarian promotion called Art of Wrestling, Body Slam Pro Wrestling now Denmark, BEW from obviously Britain, CZW, uh, we've got some IWA Mid-South, a company called Pro Wrestling Deutschland out of Dresden, Riptide, Rising Sun, Wrestling out of Italy, Smash from Canada, obviously a button of WXW, uh, White Wolf out of Spain, and Wrestling Cult, we mentioned earlier. So what this was, was basically a massive advert for the Directional streaming service, and they had seven matches from seven partner promotions, uh, just run through the matches, uh, Wrestling Cult, gave us Carnage against Mexburg. It was okay. White Wolf gave Kaiden against Rizzo, which I've seen a lot of mixed views I wasn't a big fan of. It was what it was. BW gave a women's match. Kat Von Cage against Lex Avalo. CZW had a match. Joe Gacy against Stanford Green. I went three and a half. I know I'm furious. He's a lot higher on this than I was. Um, I need to rewatch this because, again, you know, it's like, second show of the day uh, and a lot more to do. It's, you know, I think five for two matches before were a little bit, I would say, pushing them out, but you know, weren't exactly lighting anyone's world on fire. You know, It's very hard to go from very low to very high without thinking, am I just overrating this because the last two matches weren't great? But yeah, this was a really good match and those like to see CCW, Larry, still have some stock in Germany. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, uh, if you have matches for how body slam gave a three way, you okay? Yeah, just um, swallowed wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so again, just finish off. Uh, body slam gave a three way. Michael Fine, Emeritus, Ole- uh, Peter Alessander. Again, it was okay. Uh, Rising Sun, Outfitly, Niccolo Inverati against Luke Patsy. It was pretty good. Again, I think it's one of these. You've got a small crowd with you know, who probably don't watch all this stuff so a lot of new faces and again by the time the crowd gets you know got to recognize in the face and you know who to cheer and who to boo match mostly over uh main event smash uh, tyson do sebastian soir friend Branks, Tariq. uh in smash there a team called the pillars they wrestled each other um what i will say is on the whole this was a pretty good show of uh, directly now showcase i don't want to say one you've got to go out of your way to see Again, if you've got WXW now, when they put it up, it's not going to hurt to watch it. 
Um, but yeah, you'll see a lot of decent wrestling. And the one thing I think was Alan Cheapshot, who was up at the press parking with us for a lot of these, was saying you had one, all these promotions had one match to put on to you know, really get eyeballs on them. And you had a lot of the same kind of style, which, you know, if you like the style, great. But, you know, if, you know, if you're trying to maybe showcase that you're different from anybody else, you know, I don't think a lot of them hit the mark there. But, you know, I don't, too many of them, you know, did any, did themselves a disservice. But, uh, yeah, this is another matinee show that was in and out pretty quickly. And then was on to the night 216 Carrot Gold, which traditionally is the Brexit's biggest show of the year. Um, some of these festival weekends for Saturday evening tends to be the biggest one. Um, they had 1,600 fans there. I think see a video on the Directory Now YouTube. They had a, I guess it's called an anthem for the weekend. Uh, it was like a spoof of a, like a German drinking song, I guess you call it. And it's very mixed, uh, very mixed uh, reception. Um Song called Carrot's New Ein Malim Yar, which translates Carrot's Only Once a Year. They read it all the lyrics. Got a live performance beforehand. If you like that kind of kitsch, I don't want to say Euro trash, but no, I say very European style, you'll like it. If you don't, you won't. There's no middle ground. Um, but we uh, no, kick off with uh, quarterfinals. Uh, again, we're just going through the notebooks. Uh, for me, I think overall, because I split the tag gauntlet down to individual matches, so I'll, no, I'll may as well call the tag gauntlet my um, first notebook of the day, simply because of how memorable it was. So Jay Skillet, Absolute Andy, won the tag belts on Friday, and they did a long segment here where they introduced a new format called the JAA Tag Team Expert and Wildcard Gauntlet. A lot of comedy in the promo, thankfully, in it's up in English with subtitles, so you don't need to know German. Um, but the gimmick was that Andy had been busy. He'd called a nap and had done something to pretty much pair up people in directly against each with each other who hadn't tagged together. So it's basically in the wildcard tag teams. And you know, Vunovis got a match for, against him for tag titles on the next day. Uh, and yeah, so you got... You know, the usual, I don't say tropes, but the usual stuff you get, like tag team partners on opposite sides of the ring. Uh, you had the fantastic big lads team of Avalanche and Black Taurus, which they nearly ran the gauntlet. I think they came in match number two and went pretty much all the way. Um, and how's this in 2020? DJ Hyde actually wrestling. Yeah, that was, I was like, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, Avalanche and Taurus for killing guys. This is great. Then I'm like, D DJ Hyde. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, and then I was like, oh Christ. I'm like, they better not fucking lose to DJ Hyde. <laughs> that was so, obviously my first thought. Though I was like, no. So what they did on some B showcase show, they had Deej come out after the uh, Joe Gacy Anthony Green match, and it was for whole. No, thank you. No, we met because it's easy to have run shows in Germany. In fact, once was dropped on WXLU now if you want to go on the back catalogue. Um, and he was putting over the crowd, said, yeah, we're running again in Germany, you know, no cheap pop. Um, and he said, so I think we said, we're running in Hamburg on November 13th. 
as a screen put up a graphic saying Frankfurt on November 13th. DJ Hyde, not exactly great with geography or calendars, but um, they kept him around for this one. Um, tag team partner was Levaniel, who like I say he's very new to Brexit, who come through, up through the academy. And his match, shall I say, was him doing a long promo going to the ring. Um, no, I think, again, I've not seen this back in German in, with English subtitles, but apparently the, his promo is along the lines of, I had a grandfather who wrestled death matches in Japan. DJ Hyde just you know, shaking his head like, who the hell have I been paired with? Um, yeah, Vader Bomb puts DJ Hyde away within seconds. Levaniel, completely oblivious to it all, thinks the match hasn't started yet, and he just walks straight for back. Still haven't even taken off his robe. That's the easiest night's work you can get. Walked through in, cut a promo, walked for back. That's right. Good work if you can get it. Um, then, say so the last leg of that... Uh, Gauntlets, Chris Ridgeway, Scotty Davis against the Young Guns, uh, Luke Jacobs, Ethan Allen. That was you know, absolutely cracking. Again, last leg of the gauntlet, you know, the crowd gets a bit tired and maybe the Joe could kind of run a bit a bit far here. But yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so Young Guns win, get the tag title shot for next day. Uh, and for they, from there, we have a pretty quick squash match the second half. Match for weekend follows. Speedball Mike Bailey and Bandido. Now, I've seen ratings all over the place for this. I've seen some people you know, going fairly low on this. Um, I've also seen some people like me going the full five. What I will say is a lot of the people giving five stars you know, probably you know, were there live. And you know, if you saw the events at the end of the match, you probably you know, would have been bumped yourself. Um, looking on cage match now, it's an average of about four and a half which again still really damn good uh, this one to me you know, two guys this is maybe playing more into the flippy side of Mike Bailey you know, rather than the kicky side but yeah I had a few issues early on but you know, they more than recovered and to me it was that finishing stretch just put it over top for me uh, handspring into reverse round from speedball um, rings for the end tour track go to sleep uh, Bandido went for 21 plex but couldn't get done. It was a, a fish I'm trying to describe a, a moonsault fall away slam with fishman's of a hooked leg that gets the win. And yeah, I mean, I've seen matches where fans have thrown money in afterwards. Here, they were throwing in notes, they were throwing in so many coins. Like, you've, you've obviously seen it, and the amount of money they threw in the ring afterwards. Um, I think they filled two bowls full of coins, which, yeah, bear in mind what's about to come back. I don't know how wise that might have been, but uh, and I think the thing that, again, really stood out as well, uh, Chris Lawson, who's a massive fan of Bandido, was ringside, and he just lost his shit, as he would if he'd seen a match like that. Uh, they brought him to the ring and paraded him on their shoulders, but actually made a VOD as well. So it was a nice little moment as well for him, you know, on top of a fantastic match. I looked at this match and I, I got to it and I thought real quick, just like overall the undercard for this show until we got to this point, I thought it was all good. Uh, I basically, I, I enjoyed what was going on and then you got to this match and I guess the best way to describe it for me is take everything that you love about Mike Bailey and everything you love about Bandito, throw that shit in the blender Yep. And drink it down because that's what this was. I mean, 
Yeah, like you said, it may have gone a little more towards the flippy side of things. With But the thing is, sometimes you just have to play to your crowd and do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, that, that's like people going, you know, I like Ishii and Shingo, but all they did was hit each other real hard and fire up for a while. Well, what the fuck do you want them to do? <laughs> Grapple? I mean, Ankle I mean, locks? Went, what the fuck? This went 17 minutes. It did not feel 17 minutes. Oh, Christ, no. It and, flies by. In fact, you know, you, know, you, you have people saying, you know, five stars, or oh, it's got to be a, an epic well. You know, I've seen five star match, uh, Ishii and um, some G1. Uh, I'm going to kill myself for getting the name. Shibata and Ishii from a G1 a few years back. Okay. If I was a sprint, if I was five stars. You know, yeah. you know they both, you know, gave it, you know, if they're both going to bring, they brought it. The fact was in a sprint, who cares? This match, you know, for me, one of my favorite matches I've seen live. I have seen people say that it maybe went towards the, you know, the NXT overly spotty thing, but it worked for live crowd. You had everyone on their feet. You saw the reception afterwards with all the money raining down, and yeah, to me, that this me, I think, the match for weekend. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I went just under five on it. Although it's, I think it's one of those matches that, like, you were there, so you would know, obviously. I think it's one of those things that if I was there in that atmosphere, I would have been five all day long on it. I just, uh, when I was done with it, I just thought, I thought it was phenomenal, but I just kind of have this rule that, like, not, not like a rule, but, like, for me, like, if a match is five, I know when it's done. Yeah. And I just... Again, we've got live bias, which, you know, push a lot of people over the top, I know... They say Arn Fuse is very, he's you know, got his famous notebook. He went full bolt straight away, and I think a lot of people, it was either you were either screaming from the rooftops, it was five, or it was just, ah, it was really good, that kind of thing. It was nobody, nobody live, for I saw at least, hated this. No, I, I thought it was phenomenal. It's just like, you look at this match, you see these two dudes, and it's like, yeah, it's like, um, it, I don't think I could have asked for anything more from it. I, I enjoy both guys so much. And like I said, I got to this on the card. I had stayed spoiler free for the most part. And I like, I knew the match was coming and I sat there and I get this match and I'm, I was just like, it's going on and it's going on. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I'm like, yes. So it fucking just fantastic. I mean, Again, we're trying to hit all the notebook style stuff for you guys. This is definitely one. If you don't have a ton of time, although you should, considering the whole <laughs> pandemic, corona, quarantining, and isolationism. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is one. Make your time uh, to see it. I mean, again, it may not be quite five for you, but it's well worth your time. And as Ian said, it's right around like 17 it doesn't feel it. You're going to watch it. It's going to be over. You're going to be really happy. Watch this match. And I guess from there, we'll go to the main event. Um, so, storyline, WXW, uh, Bobby Guns beat Tim Thatcher for the belt in December, the anniversary show. And we've kind of wangled their way into a storyline with David Starr challenging, putting his crew on the line. And... I think it's, um, Richard Benson does uh, grapple spotlight, uh has experience of post, but just before the match he said, I don't think David Starr's winning this. Why? He's barely promoted this on Twitter. He's barely, you know, he's not done the, he's the big promos, he's all this. Um, and this one I went to shade over four on. Again, I've seen you no know, ratings go all over the place. I mean, this one I would say is 
the polar opposite of uh, Bailey Bandido and that the match went uh, 40, 41 minutes, so very long. Um, if you are very much in the mindset of, I don't understand how David Starr's got this match, I no, apart from him putting a screen line, there's no stakes. I can understand why a lot of people wouldn't like it. Uh, I know there's a lot of fans not big on Bobby Guns in the spot as world champion, but for me, the two of them you know, wrestled, you know, say, largely grounded style. Uh, you got Know, David Starr, as the match went on, progressively getting more and more panicky, as you would if your crew was on the line. But you know, in the end, you know, fell short. Uh, Bobby Guns worked for hands and the arm pretty much all match long. So submissions and the lariats just couldn't come up as much. And yeah, all I will say is uh, Bobby Guns won with an Emerald Fusion. And the second that third count came down, the air was sucked out of the turbine. I've never seen 1,600 people so quiet. And you know, obviously there's been stuff come out since. But... So, I don't Do we really want to discuss the, you know, you know, why, you know, why he's left some people's mind? I know WXW aren't, you know, were very quiet at the press conference the next day. Um, depending on your interpretation of it, some say that Star got put, you no. Know, we were coerced into getting rid of David Starr. Um, Starr himself had said that he'd been feeling a bit of a disconnect with the locker room. Um, at the same time, just in terms of how things work with him territorially, apart from winning the title, there wasn't much more he could do. And realistically, you know, he's had a couple of shots. If they weren't going to give him the, a run of the belt, you know, there literally was nothing else for him to do. And I know a year ago, from at WrestleMania last year, he you know, famously quit during uh, the WrestleMania show in New York. Don't know if you remember the, that promo that uh, Gabe Handley edited out the show. Um, I mean, whichever way you want to believe, you know, there was you know, some talk that you know, uh, Star WrestleMania did say that asked him to tone down political stuff. Um, obviously, that wasn't forthcoming. You know, whether you want to believe political stuff was just for you know, pl- you know, unionization stuff or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was a you know, pretty good last hurrah for David Starr, and that's yet another WWE adjacent promotion he's no longer working with. Yeah, uh, real quick on the match, I'm with you on the notebook status. I, I think I went a, a flat four on it. I find it, a, a, I, I really enjoyed, I thought the work was really good. I did like how it was so different from Bandito and um, Speedball, because I think that's very important. On a show like this, I think it got a little long in the tooth for me, Don, because like I said, it, it nears right around that 40 minute mark. And it's, I think it was just a little, little, little long. And as you said, though, that, that result, yeah, the air completely goes out of that room. It's a, it's a rare thing to see when somebody loses like that to get such an instant reaction, but it, it was right away. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I talked about it. Um, we're recording this on the 19th, by the way. Um, I talked about it actually on, uh, the show with, uh, Steve, um, this morning. Um, the, the, the whole rumor is that WWE put pressure on WXW to distance themselves from star because of his political leanings and trying to get wrestlers into the, uh, equity union and shit like that. And, you know, star had commented that free speech isn't free um, WXW hasn't really commented on it, but there's also a lot of people that have just said that WXW was just kind of looking to 
you know, move along and that they weren't going to strap up stars, as uh, Ian said, and that uh, it was just kind of a, um, a a parting of ways. And depending on who you believe, I mean, it's it's you can believe either one very um, easily because we all know that's kind of like the WWE mantra, like if you're not with us, you're against us. But again, if you're not going to strap up Star and make him a, a major part, I mean, you really don't need him around. You might as well try to get something out of it. So again, I, I don't know necessarily which side to believe. I can easily buy either one, though. Yeah, and again, no, it was a press conference, so I would say with media credentials. Uh, it was a press oh, conference look at the you next there, day. fancy pants with your media credentials. Uh, uh, do we're the only ones who you know embrace this kind of stuff. And like I say, this is the sixth time I think we've been we've done week festivals, but I've been too, so much appreciate and obviously for <laughs> coverage they appreciate too. But there was a um, Will Cooling asked a question about uh, David Starr, and again, this is just my you know criminal summit. Um, Tassel Young, referee, and you know one of the high ups in WXW. Uh, said was a limit how they can dive into it. Um, after the star, after the show, Star was given free reign on what to say, whether to do an in-character promo in terms of, you know, I put my career up against Bobby Guns, I lost, and you know, this my goodbye, or whether he wanted to do a personal promo for the live crowd. He went down that road because this promo did not make it into the VOD. It has since been uploaded on the directly YouTube page, so if you want to see it, it's there. Um, yeah, we're not going to miss him. We're going to miss him a lot, but we won't comment on the decision itself. And we'll also put over staff for not phoning it in on his way out because he had a, a big match with um, Ilya Dragunov in Hamburg a few weeks ago, which he won, which in hindsight I no, is a bit of a red herring. But, um, but yeah, it, like I say, it's, uh, you know, it's, good, it's a good match on his way out, but it does leave a bit of a gap at the top of the card with the XW, which... No, hopefully this enforced break means they can sh- no shuffle bits around. I have an like... I have an idea to solve this. Go on. It's very easy. Strap up Eddie Kingston, and just let him cut promos on everybody. Well, there's this thing that's off. There's a few guys who we're not mentioning it in terms of notebook matters, which, again, this it's a problem some people haven't. For, for me, at times, have a bit of an issue with. You know, if you just go right in the star raid and go watch this because this is four and a quarter. You know, you do miss a lot, but Eddie Kingston this weekend has been an absolute revelation. His whole spiel, and he's been doing some ref pro as well, has been that, um, no, he's fed with making stars. It's his turn to be the star. And uh, I think it was night one against Daniel Maccabee, he beat and then, you know, did the quote-unquote turn. Against rotation night two, he beat for living piss out of. Night three, okay, may have come unstuck, but... His performance and his promos over weekend, absolute top notch. Yeah, I, I I love Eddie Kingston. I I think it's like my biggest problem with Eddie Kingston is when promotions would use him and not give him a microphone. It's like well, first of all, why the fuck are you using Eddie Kingston if you're not going to let him talk at all? Some people just can't see wood for trees. Yeah, very but, um, true. So going to the Sunday show, the show we just dropped uh, today as record race, the Wheel of Wrestling feature event. So, I know the VOD. Um, so VOD opens with a speech by Dennis Birkendahl. So basically, this show was built up, meant to be building up a another show in Frankfurt late this month for WXW. Um, obviously, reference going on, 
live wrestling is pretty much cancelled worldwide. And as it stands, at time recording, the next uh, show to Brexit has on my calendar is in May. Um, and they even say they don't even know when they're going to run because right now, who knows how things are going to play out. So if you're watching VOD, they pretty much said there's going to be stuff in commentary, there's going to be stuff in video packages and promos, which is going to be building up to matches that aren't going to happen, or at least not, not the way they, they're built to. But um, yeah, just going through the lineup for the uh, feature event. Um, not There's only one match I put down as definitely the notebook. That would have been the Young Guns against JAA for the tag titles. Um, that was a win for absolute Andy J. Skillet. They got first defense in. But what I will say is for the Young Guns, more than uh, able showing them for, no, in this match, the only thing I would say for them, they almost got a little bit overwhelmed by just the sheer characters of Andy and Skillet. And to a point almost by uh, referee Tassel Young, they did a comedy spot where, uh, I forget which one of the Young Guns it was, but they did a bit where, you know, Tag Times were cheating. Um, I think it was Ethan Allen who charged at uh, Andy you know, to try and get to him. Uh, Tassel Young flat, throws his arm up to you know, point you know, to get out the ring and he runs into ref's elbow. So that kind of stuff, I could maybe see why some people may not like it, but as a match, you know, a really good showing. And I say the Young Guns, hopefully when all this blows over, you know, can become regulars in WXW. But um, yeah, pretty good weekend in for them. Uh, elsewhere in the cards, uh, it's a four-way to start out. Daniel McAbey, Rust Taylor, Anthony Green, Scotty Davis. Perfectly fine four-way match. Um, again, I don't, I've don't, i not seen VOD, so I don't know what this was meant to build up to. But yeah, perfectly fine four-way match. And main event, uh, Shikahiro Iwie against Walter. My only disappointment on match one is that it may be a bit too one-sided for Walter. But yeah, perfectly fine big lads match to wrap the show. And like I say... That dropped uh, early tonight as we record this. Uh, but in real time, that was the Sunday afternoon matinee show. And we go straight into the finals. Um, so yes, Jörn Simmons, Mike Bailey. I went just under four stars on this. Uh, I think Jörn, he was my favourite for the tournament because he'd been getting the biggest push going in. So he didn't play out. Uh, lost to Speedball uh, pretty quickly on... Day, day three, just over 10 minutes. Um, no, perfectly fine sprint. Uh, Yearn tried over power, but speedball's kicks end up beating power. Um, a little bit further down, we have the Tim Thatcher farewell match. That was Walter and Daisuke Ikeda against Tim Thatcher and Yuki Ishikawa. Um, bear in mind, no, this was his farewell. This could just been all of them phoning it in. Again, I went to shade under four stars on this, but. Yeah, if, if you like, you know, the hard-hitting, you know, mat-based stuff, you know exactly what you're getting the these for. Um, no, but at the end, they tried to do a farewell for Tim Thatcher, and he looked to be about uh, getting ready to speak, except then the locker emptied onto the stage, so he just ran out through a side door and went out not saying a word. But, um, yeah, a very emotional farewell for Tim Thatcher in WXW. A very Tim Thatcher exit. Oh, absolutely. So I, by the way, I actually, I actually went four on both of those matches you mentioned. I, I actually really enjoyed both of them for different reasons. I thought again a great weekend for Mike Bailey. Um, just really enjoyed and um, yeah, and I, I liked the tag a lot. As you said, it was kind of just a really good hard hitting match. I thought it was, 
I thought it was very fitting for what they were trying to do. And as you mentioned, it's just the exit of Tim Thatcher. It's like you kind of couldn't have almost like scripted it better because it's very Tim Thatcher. Yeah, just, oh, I don't know. I mean, he just he has done promos before, but you no, know, he's not well known for them. And in fact, you know, he saw that they would maybe try to surprise him. It's like, well, I don't want to do the other carbon thing, but may as well have been, screw you guys, I'm going home. But um, yeah, a fantastic match and a fantastic farewell. Uh, someone touch on the next match, maybe not quite notebook. So shotgun title, it's directly secondary belt. It was meant to be Avalanche against Silly Dragunov. It became a freeway just before the match start, literally as the match was starting. Um, throwing back to uh, Ilya Dragunov's return two years ago at Carrot, where they had a one on one title match, Walter and Bad Bones, John Klinger, became a freeway. I know a few people got a little bit touchy, maybe a little bit precious about that. But um, Alexander Wolf came back, won the title. I went three and a half. I maybe may well be the high man on this, but two things on this: one, a lot of people getting a bit leery about how you know WWE secondary belts on a WWE guy because that's now a moot point with what's going on. No, he'd been announced for dates, so I think of now all being cancelled. Um, but the other thing that came out at the end of it was surrounding last year's when a lucky kid. Now, since Carrot last year, lucky kids. He's not been on a good run of form. You know, being, being people saying he's been booked awfully. He went a bit for a losing run. He kind of um, expelled his former Rise teammates, uh, even Kevin Pete Bouncer. Um, beat uh, Cassius Ono last December, the anniversary show. And since the turn of the year, his matches have been not bad, but he's, they've all been interrupted by this flashing eye gimmick. Uh, his match against Jiren on night one was very short because for start he just got horrendously distracted by this blinking eye. Um, the, <clears throat> the eye thing came at the end and it was two uh, lads attacking Alexander Wolf. Uh, they were Abdul Kanan and Aitak Paha from the German Wrestling Federation, a team known as Group Anishi. Lucky Kid ran down the ramp and joined in, so they're now a trio in WXW quite why Lucky Kids would get distracted by those videos and cost himself carrot, basically. I don't know, but yeah, Lucky Kid, he's fed up with being fat of a guy and now has his own stable, which they're calling Azel, which apparently means uh, Eternity, which it's a new group, it notes new use, and obviously Lucky Kid, he's now been renamed uh, Metahan, I think it's the real name. It was a complete repackage. Obviously, where this goes, no really want to see, but um, yeah, the biggest thing I was impressed with, and you'll have seen it as well. This, the ramp directly tend to use like a solid level walkway, kind of like um, WCW did for pay per views back in the day. This one was like a slight uh, ramp, level bit, and another ramp. Lucky spra- sprinted down that thing, didn't trip up. That to me is the most impressive thing of the whole segment. <laughs> it is because you've seen people trip on those things in the past. Um, no, Nitro I- sets. I um no, I actually really enjoyed the shotgun match like you did. Um, I won about three and a half on it as well. I thought it was uh, a really fun match. I thought uh, you know you had the surprise with Wolf and winning the title, and yeah, I know that caused a lot of uh, diverse thoughts because it's a WWE guy, and especially I think I think it came off extra sour to people because the night before with the star thing, 
with the rumors coming out that WWE was the one that forced him out. So I think it came off extra sour to some people because of that. But I thought it was a uh, a fun gimmick for the show, just a, a nice little addition. And I like Alexander Wolf a lot. I think he's done extremely well in NXT UK. Um, and I'm glad that um, after they fucking totally just destroyed and botched the Sanity thing, that he found a really good landing place and has done well. And I think, again, you know, with the German fans to XW, you know, his return came off really well. It may be going back for a while a bit too soon because he had a brief run at the end of last year. Um, but again, like I say, it's all a bit of a moot point now. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they go with Wolf or if they can go in with Wolf when they pick back up. Um, from there, the two matters that I both definitely in the notebook and... WXW on Coward Weekends have their tradition kind of like Battle of Los Angeles, you know, the wacky 10-man tag. Here it was an absolutely spotty trios match. Uh, Hector Invictus, Puma King, Black Taurus against Julian Pace, Jeff Cobb and Bandido. Yeah, Bandido got another ball full of money. This was absolutely nuts. You know, balls to the wall stuff. You had, you know, it, things for teams, you kind of guess, you know, what the pairing off is going to be. You know, Jeff Cobb, Puma King... Or Jeff Cobb and Hector and Victor's both biggish lads. Black Taurus. Black Taurus and Jeff Cobb are two big lads. Puma King, Bandido, similar styles. Julian Pace, Hector and Victor's. Maybe the odd ones out, but no, they certainly didn't stick out as much. No, they both went for dives as well. And this no, is just absolutely bonkers trios match, which directs you getting in the habit of doing on these uh, carrot semifinals. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad they are because, yeah, this is... Um... This is, at the very least, I think an easy four. It's a definite notebook match. Enjoyed the shit out of it. And like you said, natural pairing off of stuff with uh, Cobb and Taurus and stuff like that. And it's just um, a nice mix because you, you have the big athletic lads in there, but you also got like your Bandito and stuff like that and Puma King. Tremendously fun. And like you said, it's um, it, it's a flippy trios match at times, but it's just a fucking blast. I think there's one spot, and again, these are all being gifted to death by now. Uh, a super-duper mega-satellite head scissors from Bandido on Black Taurus, which, again, from where I was sitting, uh, I just could not believe what the absolute fuck I was watching. It's like, holy, he's, he's going to stop, right? No? No? Oh, my. Like, that kind of stuff. It's like it's the kind of thing you see when 2K20 glitches out, not <laughs> no real human beings in a wrestling match. But yeah, this was absolutely glorious, you know, you might not like a spot fest, okay, but you know, the race fit perfectly in the in replacement. And the one uh, favorite that I've got at the end, um, obviously, Jen took a ton of photos uh, through the lens for fan.com, got the link on backbodydrop.com as well. Uh, at the end, the ring was showered with money again. And if you listen to VOD and you probably caught this at the end, um, you can hear so fans are throwing money in again, a lot of coins, and you can just hear Jeff Cobb scream, fuck! Where you can see the coins caught from somewhere. Um, like, says, I know when we did the money stuff on night one, they did put an announcement out to say, you know, please only notes, which it was a hell of a hustle, kids. But um, <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, they got a lot of, they, they only got one ball full here. And again, you know, Bandido over like a god in double story just most matches this weekend. But, oh, he um, was, dude. He had a hell of a weekend. And I saw the QC at the merch stand as well, and there was something else as well. No social distancing going on there. 
Well, dude, number one, he's used to all that in Mexico, just with the the people and everything. And he just, my man knew he was going to make money that weekend. So he was. Oh, absolutely. He bought, I think it was the uh, PWG belt and the Clash belt. So, you know, he's doing the, I don't say the market picture, he's doing photos for the fans of the belts. And you, know, you go to any indie show, if you have any wrestler with a belt, you know, allowing you to take photos, they've always got a long queue. So, yeah, that was a uh, you know, pretty good one. Then your main event, Caranoir uh, against Mike Bailey to crown 16 carat gold winner. Uh, this went nearly half now. And to me, I went four and three quarters. Nearly, you know, it was almost the point of going too long. But again, this one, for, for me, pretty good match. Um, I know some people saying that maybe it's going into forced epic maybe too much of the nxt why am i so violent kind of stuff but you know mike bailey i've seen in the past is typically babyface here he kind of went a bit more dark to win it wasn't like the oh my god i've thrown cow noir through a table on fire why am i don't know why have i done that that kind of you know, the johnny gargano stuff which never clicked with me not but you, know, you don't buy but a race to win a tournament final when especially speedballs run in Europe hasn't exactly been paved with gold. Um, you know, to me, it, I thought it worked. Uh, again, half an hour long, I think, say, night one, the show finished about 11, 11.30. Night two finished leaning close to midnight. Thankfully, night three started early because I think this finished about 9 p.m. after 5 p.m. start. So, you know, all long shows, but you no, know, the crowd kept in with it. But yeah, the one concern, question mark, whatever you want to call it, this was Kawanoa's first weekend in WXW and to win their biggest tournament did set up a few people's eyebrows raising, thinking, is this a glorified NXT UK tryout? I mean, to me, you know, WXW as of yet hasn't been used as that kind of proving ground. But what I do think is with you know, Noir, the fact that he's coming with such a huge push when you know, we've seen in progress... He won the belt in January. He doesn't promo, and they've already found issues doing any kind of program with him. Um, maybe it's going to work here because you're not going to have to deal with someone cutting a promo in a foreign language to the audience. But it'd be very, interest- very interesting to see where they go when we do get back uh, because now Karen Noir gets a title shot against Bobby Guns out of this. Um, yeah, what, what do you think the final... Uh, uh, I went about the same as you, four and three quarter. I thought um, another uh, Noir has impressed me a lot this year because so I've got to see a lot more of them this year. I've made it a point. I had people telling me I really needed to watch more. Um, I thought Mike Bailey, again, just another sensational performance. Uh, and coming out of this weekend for me, just the whole thing was this was the Bandito and Mike Bailey show, man. Yeah. I, and I, well, I, I loved it because I love those guys and I thought it was awesome to see them get the shine over there and get such a great reception overall. I think one thing maybe shows, um, so again, I had a quick look and grapple the average fare is about three and a half. I would be very curious to know how much that whole you know, shadow of NXT UK looms over the, you know, those people's ratings. I mean, the match itself for me, I thought it was absolutely great. It wasn't a case of, oh, was it five-star for me? I don't think it was anywhere near that. Um, you know, they did the whole thing, you know, lots of kicks, because obviously these two guys, famed from, I know, Karen Noir's old uh, gimmick, um, you know, his whole previous gimmick was he was a black belt in karate, or some of the martial arts. That's kind of carried over to this. But, um, 
yeah, to me, it had the feel of an epic main event without feeling too forced. Um, you know, I say, you know, Speedball, you know, brought, you know, brought his A game, brought a lot of big stuff. Um, you know, the uh, Moonsault follow-away slam off the top rope. And there was one thing a few people uh, picked up on the first night since David Starr left. Uh, Karanoir using uh, two of Starr's old, old moves, the Black Heart Bust, that Brain Buster over the knee, and um, oh God, what's the other one? There was, an, there was another move that he'd used that uh, you know, people you know, getting very suspicious of. Hey, it's funny he's using that now he's gone. But um, yeah, to me, uh, you know, it not, not were, were no words. I mean, by this point, it's the end of a very long weekend. Fantastic match. And like I say, do I still think this is only the second time? But they've uh, put the 16 Carol Gold tournament on uh, Davidson. I'm just looking back in a few K to watch past winners now. And I think the only guy who's you know, won it on their first weekend in, uh, Shingo, back in 2009. So you know, I guess only time will tell whether Carol Noir you know, reached the same heights as Shingo. Yeah, we will find out. I thought it was a, a definitely a great close to things. Again, greatly enjoyed it. Um, like I said, the the big takeaway for the weekend is if you guys get to watch this, uh, especially the notebook stuff, uh, car noir, really good, really good winner and everything. But, uh, Mike Bailey and Bandito just absolutely crushing this weekend. I know again, people have been to a lot more of these shows. Um, this may not be the highest ranked carrot in terms of, you know, great matches and the feeling coming out of the show, but, you know, for me, I saw 60 matches over the course of three or four days. Nothing absolutely stunk for joint out. Yeah, there's a few matches which, if you watch all the shows, you may find maybe not quite as good as others. Um, but again, no, if you're no, if you're watching this at home on VOD, you know, you've got you know, three nights of carrot ambition, the showcase show, um, the feature event, plus the inner circle. So that's seven shows across four days. You know, a lot of content, a lot of matches. And quite a lot of it really good. So, yeah, especially now, you know, choice are getting fairly limited since hardly anybody's doing new wrestling. Why not watch the last big uh, festival weekend? You may get for quite a while. Yeah, and like I've said again, this is this is a great time if if you are starved for wrestling, if you're missing New Japan, if you're missing the regular live U.S. shows, if you're missing your favorite indie this is a great time to pop on for a month and try out a new streaming service from somebody. And I mean, WXW is just as good as any, especially with carrot on there and the whole back catalog. They have a definite recommendation for me for the weekend from um, what I've seen of the three main shows. I really enjoyed. I'm going to catch some of the shorter stuff that Ian has talked about here, which again is why you were here because you were there to talk about it. So I do appreciate that. And it's just, um, again, I think if you're kind of starred for some for some live stuff, for a lot of great stuff, and for something new, again, I I just I can't recommend it enough. I think it's good, and I just I think it's a great time for a lot of people to kind of broaden their horizons. So, and again, as well, like you know, you've got obviously WWE Network, that's WWE and real WWE CW back catalog, high spots, and you've got they've got a ton of of stuff. Thing is, you know, we are potentially looking at months before anything, as they say, recognizable comes back. I mean, Dynamite last night, they were very careful in saying next Dynamite, not next week. 
And, you know, as long as WWE's doing whatever the hell it is they're doing at the PC, you know, you know, you can be looking at, you can be wanting to see new stuff or at least stuff new to you. So, yeah, give it a go. There's a lot of direct story reviews on backbodydrop.com. Let's say if you're going to dip in, you know, take a look at uh, Carrots from this year. But they say, you know, take a look at all the Carrots. I mean, the three that I've been to, there's not been a single bad one. And I think Carrot in general does have that reputation of being Europe's top, you know, tomb and weekend for a reason. Exactly. So, uh, Ian, I want to thank you again. And, uh, you know, just so everybody knows, Ian is not only a good lad, but his wife is awesome because this is actually his wedding anniversary. And he's joining me today to talk wrestling because she allowed it and is awesome. So we will thank her for her contributions this week. <laughs> but uh, no, Ian, thank you as always. Everybody follow backbodydrop.com. As Ian said, he has full reviews of these shows up. Uh, some of the other shows he mentioned and a, a backlog of stuff if you want to get more familiar with it. Um, and again, it's a good time to try out the streaming service. Ian, I want to thank you and uh, I hope you have a good week, buddy. Uh, you too, Larry, and take care of yourself and take care of yourself, everybody out there. And that'll wrap up episode 100 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Please remember you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and on any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. And on a personal note, I just want to thank everybody that has made this show a success and got us to episode 100. Take care, guys.